בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה. Good to be back. It's been a while since we've been here, ברוך השם, in Aventura. Uh, we uh, have a Mishnah uh, that we started uh, last time, uh, that will continue, it's going to be part two. Mishnah in Avot, chapter six, first Mishnah, as I told you guys, these, uh, chapter six is uh, what the Chachamim added to the original Pirkei Avot. Uh, and it's uh, from all the Tanaim, all of the giants, summarized a... Uh, enough teachings in each Mishnah that you can learn each Mishnah your entire life and still not finish. Not one hour, not two hours, not three hours, not three years. Your whole life. You can learn one Mishnah and you're still not going to finish it. That's, it depends on how deep you want to go into it, which uh, is part of learning Torah Lishma, which is what this Mishnah is about. Um, a lot of people have a, uh, their own ways of studying, but there is a right way, there's a wrong way. And these are some of the things we're going to talk about, really, what's the ultimate purpose of studying Torah, aside from doing mitzvot, trying to get the Gan Eden. Uh, there's obviously much more to uh, Torah uh, than uh, just a couple of simple things. So the shiur will be also for Ilui Nishmat Shimon Chai Ben Rivka, and Refuah Shlema Le'Aaron Moshe Ben Farela, Fer Sara, Le'a Bat Rachel, Le'a Lilach Bat Sarachana, רחמים בן אליזה חנה, הרב הצדיק אליהו בקשי דורון בן טובה, דבורה בת מרסדס, חווה בת חנה, בן אמבן, בן אמבן, בן חנה, יצחק בן ציפורה, יהודה בן דבורה, לבנה בת שרה, David Ben Nesriya, Doris Bajora, and all of Am Yisrael, Bezad Hashem, will have Refuah Shlema, Refuah Nefesh, Refuah Aguf. In a world with an enormous amount of information that we have today, uh, where it's, uh, you have, there's always been a lot of information, but today there's uh, easy access to information. Anything you really want to know, simply go on the internet and you find the answer. For most things, you could find a, at least a superficial answer. And once in a while, it's the right one. It's not always the right answer, but sometimes uh, Google's right. Sometimes. Sometimes it's wrong. Uh, the point is that there's a lot of information. So on one end, in the last generation, the generation before Mashiach that we find ourselves in, Hashem made it very easy for us that if you want Torah, you literally have access to more Torah, more information, more proofs, more resources than the Rambam had, than Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai had, than anyone else in history. And the reason why is because this is the last time. This is the last stop. You arrive at Shemaim, you can't say, oh, no, no, I, I wasn't sure. I didn't know. What do you mean you didn't know? You lived in the world for X amount of years. I gave you 30, 40, 50, 100 years. With access to information easier than any other generation in history. And you still don't know. But to make money, you knew. The, 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 the stock market uh, you know, statistics, you knew. The baseball statistics, you knew. The uh, different uh, politicians, who's winning, who's losing, you knew. Everything else, you knew. How come Torah you didn't know? Hashem is closing the store 
And he's making sure that none of us have even a single excuse when we go up to Shemaim. You have no excuse not to know. Now maybe you're not going to get to everything. Maybe none of us are going to get to everything. It's impossible to get to everything. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is here, everything that you you have a question about, you should have an answer for too. Because if, you have, if your question is a serious question, that means you're going to go look for the answer. But if you're waiting for the answer to appear in your house uh, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, blue and white uh, envelope with a uh, love God signed at the end, then you're obviously uh, dreaming. A person needs to want to help themselves in order for them to succeed in life, both spiritual life and material life. But not everybody wants to help themselves. Not everybody has the merit to do tshuva. Not everybody has the merit to realize that the opportunities that they have in their life are much greater than the comfort they have today. And most people are simply not willing to get themselves out of their own comfort zone because they think that anything else is worse than what they have. For a person to show up at a shul that's going to shake his heart in this generation is no less of a merit than being a Mount Sinai itself. And the reason why is because the Rambam says in the generation before Mashiach, not everybody is going to be able to do tshuva. Not everyone. Why not everyone? It says the Nevi'im say that uh, before uh, you know Mashiach comes, Am Yisrael is going to be saved. The Rambam says, yeah, of course, Am Yisrael is going to be saved. What does it mean Am Yisrael is going to be saved? Whoever chose to become part of Am Yisrael. How do you choose to become part of Am Yisrael? What if your mom is a Jew? Is that enough to be part of Am Yisrael? What if you have an uh, Israeli flag hanging outside of your, uh, out of your house? With uh, Israeli pride. Does that make you a Jew? Does that make you part of Am Yisrael? If you sing songs, Am Yisrael Chai, Am Yisrael Chai, every day just for fun. You blast it on your radio on the way to work, on the highway. Make sure everybody hears too. Does that make you part of Am Yisrael? You eat kosher. The Chinese food kosher, the, the Turkish food kosher, the Syrian food kosher, everything kosher. Does that make you part of Am Yisrael? You live in Israel. You live in Israel. Does that make you part of Am Yisrael? What makes you part of Am Yisrael? Rabotai Karim, although all of those things I just mentioned are good, they're nice, supporting Am Yisrael, supporting Eretz Yisrael, supporting even the people that learn Torah, it's all good. But if you're not following the Torah yourself, you, my friend, have a very, very serious problem because you have not joined Am Yisrael yet. You could be as funny as the best comedian in history. You could be as generous as the most generous person in history. You could be as smart as the smartest person in history. If you're not following the Torah to its entirety, you have not included yourself as part of Am Yisrael. Now, of course, everyone fails. Everyone has a mistake. Everyone makes a sin. 
אין חסיד שלא יכתב. There's no such thing as a, a person that's so righteous he doesn't make sins. Everybody makes sins. Everybody in their own level. Does it make him okay? It just makes it realistic. The key is not to make a sin a permanent part of your life. Meaning not to get to a point where you say, listen, I'm just going to continue sinning this one. Hashem is just going to have to settle for the rest of the stuff that I do. Like as if you're doing him a favor. And unfortunately, I hear this a lot. I hear this a lot more from the Frum people than actually the secular people. Secular people, for the most part, when they start doing tshuva, they don't even know what they don't know yet. So they're not going to tell you, listen, I'm just going to do this and I'm not going to do that. They're not gonna, they don't do that. Why? Because they don't know what they don't know yet. But in the, in the Frum world today, many of us have simply decided, you know what, this, I'm just going to continue sinning. I'm just going to do really good everything else. That's a very serious problem. Because that means that you've decided to be a kofel. It's not that you became a kofel by accident. You just didn't know. There was a mistake you made along the way. And uh, you never checked it. You were too lazy. Too careless. And you made a mistake. And you lived your whole life thinking that it's okay to look at other women even if, if they're not your wife. You lived a life where you thought it's okay to cheat the goyim, steal some money from them here and there. It's no big deal. You lived your life thinking, oh, it's, it's okay to cheat Jews. You live your life thinking it's okay to eat non-kosher as long as it's not in the house. All types of stupid things that people make their own rules. You lived your life thinking that it's okay to worship your rabbi. To pray to your rabbi so he brings you salvation instead of Hashem bringing you salvation. Like the Christians do. And you never double-checked. A mistake like that, although it's a very, very heavy punishment for such a thing, it's not intentional kfira. Why? Spiritual laziness, unfortunately, also gets judged heavily. Where if somebody makes a mistake accidentally, but accidentally because they didn't double-check it, even though they had many opportunities, they do get judged as if they did it on purpose. But that still gets judged differently than someone that decides, no, no, this sin, I'm just going to make this sin. And Hashem is just going to have to deal with it. He knows me. He knows what, who He's dealing with. Hashem understands me. That's what people tell me 50 times a week. Hashem, me and Hashem, we understand each other. If you understand Hashem, you, should, you, you realize you are Hashem. If you understand Hashem, that means you are Hashem. The Rambam said, if I understood him, I would be him. Rambam, 900 years ago, the smartest man in the world today is closer to the intellect of a monkey than he is to the Rambam, 900 years ago. And the Rambam says that if I, if I understood Hashem, I would be him. But people every day say, no, 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 me and Hashem, we understand each other. He, he gets me, he gets me. He, he's just going to let this one go. He just knows that uh, I have to cheat. He just knows I have to look. He just knows I have to spill. He just knows I have to this, I have to that. That's someone that chooses to be a kofel, and unfortunately that person decides themselves. They decide themselves to remove themselves out of Klal Yisrael. They can look more religious than anybody else in this room. Beard, sweeping the floor. Akisui Rosh, so magnificent, they make movies about it. 
retailing 900 times a day. Study Torah 25 hours a day. Somehow they invented another hour. If they choose to be a kofel, they have a very, very serious problem. We lie to ourselves all the time by telling ourselves, no, no, this I can't do. This, this is too much for me. I can't do this. And Rabotai, that means when we tell ourselves, no, I can't do this, it's a little bit of, it's like the dust of kfirah. It's a dusk of kfirah. And the reason why, anyone that ever had a child and loved somebody as much as a parent loves a child, Shlomo Melech says, you don't know love until you have children. Understands that you're never going to give the kid anything that you know for sure they're going to fail. You're never going to give them a task just to see them fail. If you're normal and you love them. So unfortunately today, not everybody is normal. Some people like to see their kids fail. They don't realize that they're destroying their confidence, they're destroying their morale, they're destroying their everything, they're destroying their future. But like, no, no, it's funny though. It's funny seeing him fall, isn't it? No, it's not actually. It's not really funny seeing him fall. For you, maybe it's funny. It'll be funny in Gainom too when they burn you. Oh, it's funny, right? It's funny seeing you burn. It's funny. It's cute. Why? Because you destroyed the kid. And now the kid doesn't want to be religious, doesn't worship Hashem. Why? Because he thinks that uh, it's funny to make fun of him. Hashem tells the prophet, be careful of how you treat my prophets, my meshichim. The Mashiach is a prophet. So who's the Mashiachim? He says, every child has the potential to be Mashiach. Be careful how you treat them. So a parent that loves a child will never give them something that they know for sure that they're going to fail. At the same token, they're not always going to give them something that is too easy for them because then you're not building the kid. Someone asked me one time, should I stay in the same yeshiva or should I go to a yeshiva that's more difficult, higher level? By default, the answer is go to a higher level. Why? That's how you get to a higher level. If you hang out with losers, you become a loser. If you hang out with winners, you become a winner. If you hang out with fools, you become a fool. If you hang out with Talmidei Chachamim, you become Talmid Chacham. But that means that you have to fail along the way. It's okay to fail. It's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to agree with failure. So a parent is going to have to give their kids difficult things. And yeah, of course, expect that there's going to be failure along the way. But he's never going to give the child something that they're intentionally going to make them fail and not even have a remote chance of passing. Why? Because they love the kid. Le'avdil, how Hashem loves us. Hashem loves us more than we can love ourselves, more than we can love our child, more than we can love our spouse. He created us simply to give us love. But at the same token, He created rules for Himself. And He's bound by His own rules that He's not allowed to give us all the good that He wants to give us unless we pass the test. But that means He's not going to give us a test that He knows for sure we're going to fail because that defeats the whole purpose. 
Anyone that thinks that there's a single mitzvah in the Torah that she can't do, that he can't do, either is treating Hashem like he's a fool and doesn't know his own creation, or chas v'shalom, they're treating Hashem as if he's sadistic, just an evil, evil monster, wants to see his kids fail. Woman says, no, no, I can't cover my head. Why can't you cover your head? You don't have hands? Hashem, I see you have two of them. No, no, I can't. It's too hard. It's too hard. Why? It's heavy? I'll give you a Hashem. Just from Jerusalem, they just send me a bunch of kisur We're going to give them for free. Don't worry. Free. And they're, they're light. They're not even heavy. They're light. So you don't... If anything, I'll bring my wife. She'll pick it up for you. Put it on your head. Why? No, no, it's too hard. It's too difficult. Why it's too difficult? You know, and today in the world... People don't wear that anymore. People don't this. People don't that. Are any of those people going to vouch for you when you go up to the Beddin of Shemaim? Are any of them going to fight for you? Are any of them going to even talk to you? Can any of them help you? Is any of them so spiritually rich with mitzvot that they're going to say, hey, hey, Hashem, Hashem, this one, it's on me. It's on me. I got it. Hashem, don't even judge. It's on me. I have so, I'm like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. I have so many mitzvot. Hashem, it's on me. Don't worry. Whatever she did, I'll take care of it. What are you going to do? Any of these uh, neighbors you have that you're so scared of, any of these parents you have that you're so scared of, any of these people you have in a community you're so scared of, why? Because that's the reason most women don't cover their hair. They're scared of what people are going to say. They're not scared of what Hashem says. But the reality is that a person needs to know if you believe in Hashem, that means that you can do every single mitzvah. Sometimes guys tell me, no, no, studying Torah is too much, man. It's too much. I can, I go, I keep Shabbat. Like it's a big deal, keep Shabbat. You slept and ate all day. The monkey does the same thing. The, uh, the, the dolphin does the same thing. The lion does the same thing. You slept and ate all day. Big deal. You want schal for it too? You tell me you have to learn Torah every day. No, no. Learning Torah, I'm busy. Oh, okay. In Shemaim, they're going to tell you also busy. They're also going to tell you they're busy. Busy to let you into Gan Eden. Why? Because without learning Torah, Rabotai Karim, it's impossible for a Jew to be a Jew. You're not going to know how. Not gonna know how. So this Mishnah in Avot tells us about the reward of studying Torah in this world, not just in the next world. And it's by the one and only Rabbi Meir Balanis. Every person, whether they are religious or not religious, knows who Rabbi Meir Balanis is. Even if they don't know any Torah, they've heard the name. So the Mishnah started with Shanuch Hachamim Bilshon HaMishnah Baruch Shebachar Baim Umishnatam Rabbi Meir Omer Kol HaOsek BaTorah Lishma Zochel Dvarim Arbe Velo Od Ela Shekol HaOlam Kulo Kedai Hulo Nikra Rea Ahu Voev Et HaMakom 
And it continues, but obviously we're not going to cover that much. We're just going to try to cover what we have up to now. The sages taught this chapter, this whole chapter of uh, six, all of these Mishnayot that we're going to go over over the next few months, this last chapter of Pirkei Avot, they taught this chapter in the language of the Mishnah. Meaning in the same pattern, the same way, same thought process, and we went over this, the details of how careful a Talmud needs to be with the teachings of his Rebbe. To such an extent that Hilel Azaken, who was the president of Am Yisrael, Raoui Liot Mashiach, was able to become Mashiach. He was from the lineage of David Melech. That the Mishnah in Avot says, you have to be, you have to shoot for being humble like Hillel. Meaning he is the best example the Mishnah picked. Be like him. Be like Hillel. Someone doesn't get mad. Someone doesn't get angry. Be like him. So this Hillel was so careful with the wording of his rabbis, Shmaya and Aftalion, who were both converts, by the way, that even when he recited what his, what his rabbis said, he would recite it in the same accent that they used. And you know, sometimes you uh, meet people from different countries, they have different accents. So I know, for example, when a Spanish person says, a Latin person says a, uh, my name, it's very hard for them to say why. Like, it's very hard for them to say Yaron. What do they say? Jaron. They say Jaron. That's how they say it. You could correct them 500 times. They'll still get them next time they see you, three days later. Hi, Jaron, how are you? Why? That's the accent. It's nothing, no offense. It's nothing offensive. I used to take offense. I used to take offense when people would make a mistake in my name. I was, my head was bigger than the room. But the point is, Abutai, is that you have to know that people have different accents. Americans, even if they're Jewish, have a very, very difficult time saying any of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet that use the throat, like Cha. Like you tell them Chamo, like Hamo. No, it's not Hamo. Chamo. Chanukah. Hanukkah. No, it's not Hanukkah. It's Chanukah. You can tell them 500 times. They have a hard time. They can't do it. A lot of them can't do it. They can't say Cha. It's difficult. I see even my little kids. I have to teach them extra. Ha, ha, ha. Hopefully they don't become Americans. But anyway, the point is that they, uh, it's, it's, for most of the Western world, it's very, very difficult for them to say any words. They use the, the throat, the ha and other similar letters. Ein. But in fact, even the Israelis, the ones that think that uh, Yehuda invented Hebrew, they don't speak Hebrew correctly. A lot of people make fun of how the Yemenites speak. The reality is, any Talmud Chacham knows that the closest we have to the original Hebrew comes from Yemen. Meaning that when you say kof, like a monkey, kof, it's really wrong. It's kof. 
not kof. Kof is how the goyim say it. How, how do you say in Hebrew? Kof. So, when you see an Israeli saying, oh yeah, look at the kof over there, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's making a mistake. Or when they say, oh yeah, what do you have? You have something in your eye. A lot of people pronounce the Ain with like an Aleph. Ain. But it's not Ain. It's Ain. With the throat. Ain. But most people can't do it. Why? They either don't know, they don't care. The point is, Rabotai, is that accents are very much part of life, regardless of which generation you were born in. But Hillel Zakin valued his teachers so much that even though he knew that their accents, because they were converts and they were, even though they were Gdoleado, they weren't born into a Frum family in Bnei Brak. They had to learn everything and they became the best in the world anyway. But still, there are certain things you just can't get out of. There's just certain things, if you learn them too late in life, you're never going to change. Like, for example, if you change, if you come from any country in the world to, let's say, the United States, and you move here up to about age 12, 13, by the time you're, if you spend some time learning, by the time you're 15, 16, English becomes your first language. No accent, no nothing, perfect English. But if you come when you're 18, 19, 20, 25 years old, it doesn't matter, even if you spend 40 years in America, you're always going to have an accent. You're always going to have an Israeli accent or whatever country you came from an accent. Why? That's the threshold. There are certain things that even if you read a million books a week, doesn't make a difference. You're always going to have a certain amount of accent. There's certain words you're not going to be able to pronounce. There's certain words you're not going to be able to just... That's the way it is. So, Shmayan of Talion had an accent and there were certain words that they could not pronounce correctly. And Hillel valued their Torah so much that he intentionally mispronounced the words to match his teachers. Just to be like his teachers exactly. Not to say what the teacher said, but to say it exactly like the teacher said it. That's how careful he was with his hachamim. That's how careful he was. That's how all of the sages became sages. Why? Kvot hachamim. They have respect for the hachamim. So when the Mishnah starts with Shanu hachamim bilshon Mishnah, that the sages taught this chapter in the language of the Mishnah, it's also referring to the fact that the, each one of the Rabbaim, the, the, uh, the Tanaim, is not only saying what his rabbis taught him, but he's saying it exactly the same way. This also explains the very big and famous story that happened in Gemara with Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos. When he got into a machloket, a huge debate with Rabban Gamliel. The whole debate. And Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos, that was the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. That his rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan, said 
the whole world is on one side, and Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinos is on the other side, he's better than all of them. He has more Torah than all of them. The whole world. Includes all the Tanaim, all the rabbi, includes everybody. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinos on the other side, he's heavier than all of them. But after the debate, after the big machloket, Rabban Gamliel decided we have to put you on uh, Nidui. You can't you can't be uh, counted in the Minyan anymore. You can't be uh, part of the Sanhedrin anymore. Because people are going to listen to you and they're going to go, they're going to be chasmus on two Torahs. Because this one thing, not all of the Torah is different. This one thing. So I always had this question. Why did Rabbi Eliezer ben Okinos? Rabbi Eliezer Agadol, Kodesh Kodeshim, humble as, as you could possibly be, why don't you just change your mind? Okay, you know what? We disagree on some things. We agree on some things. Okay, you're Nasi Israel. You're Rabban Gamliel. You're the president. I'll go with your opinion. What's the big deal? Just go with his opinion. If it's that big of a deal that you're putting everything on the line, say, hey, okay, okay, listen, we have a machloket, but uh, I agree. No problem. I go with you. Why don't you just do that? The reason was, Rabotai, is because Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos explains it, is that he was talking Torah, teaching Torah, following Torah of his rabbi. But not like we follow it from a rabbi that we saw maybe in a shiur here and there, or we read a book here and there. No, no. The way he lived his life was as if the teacher was in front of him, teaching him right now. It was as if Rabbi Yochanan was right next to him, says, go right, go left, yes, no, up, down. She says, when I said I have a different opinion, Rabban Gamliel, it's not that I have a different opinion, it's my rabbi has a different opinion. And he's right here. He's right here. What, do you want to go against my rabbi right now? I can't. He's right there. I can't. I'm too scared. He's right next to me. It's not like Torah that I learned in some book that maybe one day I'm going to remember it when the time uh, you know, allows. No, no, no. The way he lived his life was as if his rabbi was right next to him. You want me to go against my rabbi? Are you out of your mind? He's right here. This Rabotai Karim is one of the very, very important rules of the Torah that unfortunately today is mostly lost among the Western society and even much of the Eastern society. There's very little Kvot Chachamim. People can listen to Shu, can follow a rabbi, can attend lectures, can ask for brachot, for ask for advice for years from somebody the minute that somebody, the minute that Chacham says one thing they don't like, ooh, they turn him into Amalek, Nebuchadnezzar and Haman all together in one, one, one little ice cream. They go against him like he just murdered their entire family in front of them. People simply have no respect for the Chachamin. I'm talking about the ones that they like or used to like. Now, chas v'shalom, you're in a different, uh, you're in a different chasidut. If they're chabad and you're breastlev, if you're breastlev and, uh, and, and they're somebody else, or you're chabad and somebody else, oh, why? If you disagree with their way of doing things, you're out of love. You're out of love. 
You're machtia rabim. You're making it a public sin. You have a different opinion. Okay, your opinion is good. Oh, fine. I'm not telling you. I'm not saying anything about your opinion. We just have a different way of doing things. No, no. You, you guys don't really know. Okay, one day you'll be Jewish. One day you'll convert. They treat you, mamas, like you're a leper. I'm not talking about uh, secular. I'm talking about religious people. People simply cannot handle a different opinion. The Chachamim deserve a different type of respect than the rest of people. The Gemara says that people can lose their children because they don't give enough kavod to Chachamim. Meaning a little kid, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, could drown in a pool, could die in a car accident. Why? Because their stupid mother or father disrespected the rabbi. What's the kid's fault? It's not the kid's fault. It's the father's fault. But until the age of bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah, the children bear some of the punishment on the parents, of the parents, for the parents' actions. It's very, very dangerous to go against Racham. Some people, what do they do? They want to go against the Racham in a different way. They want to be clever. So they ask a question that they already know the answer to. Or they ask a question that they got an answer to from somebody else. But they don't tell him. Allah is, if you can ask one rabbi a question, but you already have the answer from a different rabbi, you have to tell the rabbi that you have the answer from a different rabbi. You have to. If you don't, you're making a sin from the Torah. But they say they, they want to ask you questions just to see if you know. I want to check if you know. Were you testing me? Was it school? Did you give me a passing grade? One time, it was a uh, fool that uh, tried to trap Rav Mizrahi in Israel. Gave him a book right at the beginning of one of, one of his lectures. And Rabbi Mizrahi saw, oh, this is Likutem Aran, this is a, uh, Rabbi Nachman Breslov's book. So as any normal holy person, what did Rabbi Mizrahi do? Took the book, gave it a kiss, and put it down, put it uh, on his desk. He only found out the next day that this fool was trying to trap him. For some reason he thought that Rabbi Mizrahi would not recognize what Likutem Aran is. Like he's some Amaaret or something. But these people, Mamash, this, the foolishness of people is, really surprises me sometimes. And he would just put it down so they can make a clip of it. And make fun of him. Oh, see, he doesn't know. He's this, he's that. This is, this is mamash rasha. This is mamash ra. This is just evil. But this is what we have today. And the reason why is because we do not have kavod l'chachamim. Especially if the chacham tells us something that we don't like. Because it challenges our reality. So the first and foremost, when we're learning this last chapter of the Avot, is to know that the Chachamim are reminding us it's so important 
to value the Chachamim, that we have to even recite their teachings the way they taught it. As the Chafetz Chaim told his students one time, you can say my Chidushim in your name. Just don't say your Chidushim in my name. Meaning you could say my Chidushim, you could say it in your name as if you wrote it. I don't care, I don't need the credit. But just don't put my name on your Chidushim. Why? I don't know your Chidushim. I'm not there right or wrong. People are going to listen to you, now, you know, your Chidushim because you put my name on it. But then it's, uh, maybe it's uh, false. But sometimes people are too busy talking and they don't listen. You see how people advance based on how much they talk. If a person's too busy talking, they don't advance. They stay the same pegir they started. Sometimes I don't understand why people log on to the uh, Facebook or to the YouTube because I see their comments. They haven't listened to a single word we said. Some people have done it a few times where they literally just log on just to socialize with people. Like they want a crowd. So they figure, you know, there's going to be a crowd watching this lecture, so let's, let's, let's chit-chat with them. Why? Chit-chat somewhere else. There's two billion people on Facebook. Find someone else. Why do you have to bother people learning Torah? Or you see some people making comments on YouTube, and you see this, you say to yourself, like, did you, watch the, did you watch it or you just read the title? I had a person send me a uh, mail a couple of days ago telling me, uh, yeah, you mentioned something about such and such and you failed to make the, to, to uh, mention the source and we need the sources. Anybody, you guys have been to a few of my lectures, a few. I failed to make the source, I failed to mention sources. On a regular basis, I failed to mention sources. It means they didn't watch anything. They already assumed that's the problem. Why? They heard something they didn't like. Rabbi Meir Omer, Kola Osek Batora Leshma Zochele Dvarim Arbe. Rabbi Meir says, whoever engages in Torah study for its own sake, Leshma, merits many things. Now, we already went over the meaning of Leshma. Learning Torah Lishma, learning Torah for the sake of its of learning, learning Torah for the sake of honoring Hashem, learning Torah for the sake of fixing our midot. It's extraordinary that if someone could dedicate their life to learn for the sake of learning, learn for the sake of honoring their creator. The Mishnah continues to give a person an understanding, or at least some level of understanding of how amazing it is. But nonetheless, most people today cannot get their head around what does it mean to learn Rishma. What do you mean? I'm going to learn so I can become a rabbi, right? I can learn, I'm going to learn so I can become an expert at telling everybody else what to do. I'm going to learn so I can make money, so I can write a book. I can learn for this. Everybody thinks there has to be an end game. Sometimes there are certain people that learn in order to go against the Chachamim. There are certain people that learn because they want to go and they want to go against the rabbi. There was one time a person, I've told you guys the story before, there was one time a politician that was learning with a big rabbi 
And this politician, this specific person, was known to go against Judaism on a regular basis. Anything that Ravadia and the Shas wanted to do for the sake of Judaism, open mikveh, more funding for yeshivot, anything, you would always go against it. One day, Ravadia found out that this person is actually learning Torah with a rabbi that he knows. So he called the rabbi, he says, you, le- you just started learning with him? Hope, in hopes, he's, maybe he's going to do tshuva now, he started learning Torah. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay, so mention to him, mention to him, to stop going against the Torah if he's learning Torah. He goes, no, no, we don't talk politics. We don't talk politics. Well, what says to him, it's not politics, it's Torah. We're not talking about politics. Tell him to stop going against the Torah Especially since he's learning Torah. You guys just started learning recently? He goes, no. We're learning 20 years already. We're learning Chavuta 20 years. At that moment, the Rabbi Vadya, Gdol Adol, head rabbi of Am Yisrael, says, you are forbidden from teaching him anymore. You're forbidden. Any minute you spend continuing to teach him, it's a sin from the Torah. Why? Isn't it good to teach somebody Torah? No. Not everybody. The Gemara in Yerushalmi, Masechet Avodah Zarah, says that sometimes there's a Talmid Lo Agun, a unfair student. What does it mean unfair? Unfair meaning he has negative intentions of what he's going to do with his Torah. He's not going to use the Torah lishma. He's going to use the Torah against. He's Talmid Lo Agun. He's a person that uses the Torah the opposite way of what it's supposed to be. Instead of learning Torah for the sake of serving his Creator, he learns Torah for the sake of going against his Creator. And unfortunately today, there are many people like that. And that's a person that's called Talmid Lo Agun. In a Talmid Lo Agun, the Gemara says, a person that teaches such a person, a person that teaches a Talmid Lo Agun, where this person is learning without any intention of fulfilling a Torah. He just wants to learn it for the sake of learning. Because maybe he wants to make fun of it. Like some of these missionaries, they want to learn Torah in order to make fun of it. Oh, look, it says over here that you could uh, do this, that's a judge. And they mentioned some uh, Gemara that, seem, that sounds strange if you don't understand it. It says, oh, see, look, they say get married at 12 years old for a woman. Ooh, are you crazy? At 12 years old, get married? You're going to say my little baby daughter at 12 years old is going to get married? What are you, crazy? Obviously, we're not comparing the times. The times back then, the times today. A 12-year-old back then, a 12-year-old today, two different people. Today, they're barely out of diapers at 12. Back then, they were able to build a whole house already at 10. This is not even far that far away. I remember when I was a kid in Israel, at 5 years old, at 5 years old, I would go to the store and do shopping for my family. At 5 years old, my mom would send me to the store. Honey, get us uh, some milk, some this, some this, and that. 5 years old, go to the Makolet, go do shopping. I couldn't carry that much, but uh, whatever I could carry, it was a little bigger than me, and I took it. Five. Today, you tell a five-year-old, uh, honey, did you go? Did you go potty? Did you go potty in your pants, or, you, or did you go? Well, you tell a five-year-old in America, nothing. 
Give me a pinky. Give me a pinky. What do you tell him? Why? Because unfortunately, this generation is retarded. Very different generation. So you can't look at the Gemara that says, get married at 12 years old, and say, oh, there's something wrong with the Gemara. No, there's nothing wrong with the Gemara. There's something wrong with you, with this generation. But technically, the way people were was very different. How do you know for sure? Go to any undeveloped country. Today. Go to any undeveloped country. Places in Africa, places in the Middle East, places, different places around the world. They're still the same type of 12-year-old as it used to be. Already you see some of these undeveloped countries, you see little kids, three, four, five years old, cooking for each other. Cooking, cooking for each other. Today, 25-year-old men don't know how to cook. What are you having for lunch? I don't know. What do you want to order? No, no. What do you eat? Can you cook something? Yeah, I could put something in the micro. I could put something in the microwave. How many? I think it's 90 seconds. I think this one's 90 seconds. Or I could call the best pizza in town. They don't know how to cook. They don't know nothing. How come your house is a mess? Oh, yeah, the clean lady didn't come yet. Yeah, why don't you clean? Okay, the clean lady didn't come. Fine. I like convenience as much as everybody else. But if the clean lady didn't come, why didn't you clean? What do you mean? How do you, what do you mean clean? What do you mean? I, I have to clean? Yeah, you live here. You live here. Get a Windex. What's that? What's Windex? It's a cleaning product. What, people can buy it? You don't have to have a cleaning license? You don't have to have a cleaning lady license to buy Windex? People don't know anything. The generation does not know anything. This is where we live. So, there are certain things that the Gemara mentions that's the opposite of our reality today. It's not because the Gemara is wrong. It's because times have changed. Our body has changed. Certain things that affect us has changed. Some people were much bigger back in those days, much healthier, much stronger, much smarter for sure. But the point is, is that if you see something that's the opposite of your reality in the Gemara, in the, Gemara, in the Torah, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It simply means that you have a lot of catching up to do. But when a person looks for those specific items in the Torah just in order to make fun of it and enjoy laughing while the other naive, ignorant people are laughing along with him, that's a Talmid Loagun. That's a person that it's a sin to teach him. It's a sin. What kind of sin is it? The Gemara in Yerushalmi Masechet Abu Dazara says teaching a Talmid Loagun is the same thing as bringing a Korban to the Satan himself. Instead of when you learn Torah, it's as if you're bringing a Korban to Hashem. You learn Torah. It's better than bringing a korban to Hashem. How do we know? David HaMelech told Hashem, Hashem, why don't you uh, take me out of this world early? Why? Because he asked Hashem, Hashem, when am I going to die? Hashem says, I can't tell you. Okay, at least tell me the day.
says, oh, you're going to die on a Shabbat. Oh, Hashem, Shabbat, it's not convenient. Let me die maybe on a Sunday. He goes, no, you can't die on a Sunday. Why? Because already in Shemaim, we decreed that your son, Shlomo, is going to start his kinghood on Sunday, on Yom Rishon. So you, your kinghood cannot end until you die. So if you, if I let you live an extra day, that means that your son, his kinghood is going to start late. That cannot be. In Shemaim, everything is precise. There's no be'erich. Approximately. There's no approximately in Shemaim. Everything is exact. Exactly as it's supposed to be. So David Amir says, okay, 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 no problem. Take me on Friday. Give him an extra day. No problem. Hashem Barach tells David Melech, Kodesh Kodashim, wrote Sefer Teilim. Any person that has, that has a head, has tears in his head, reads Teilim, starts crying, if he understands what he's reading. If she understands what she's reading. You learn Tehilim, you learn what actually, you read it with some commentary. You should read it with a little bit of commentary. What David Melech went through. You see that David Melech, his entire life, 70 years in this world, never had 15 minutes of peace. 15 minutes. I don't mean, I'm not saying he never went on vacation. No, no. He never had 15 minutes peace of mind. His entire life. Holy of holies. Mashiach comes from David Amelech. Hashem says, David, you learn Torah. You learn Torah is worth more to me. You learn Torah for one day. You learn Torah for one hour. One hour of David Amelech's Torah is worth more than a thousand korbanot that your son, Shlomo Amelech, that I gifted the gift of wisdom to. Smallest man of all time. A thousand of his korbanot, your Torah is worth more. You, Rabotai, showing up to a shiur Torah at 10 o'clock at night is worth more than a thousand korbanot of Shlomo HaMelech. It's not just David HaMelech's Torah. If it was just David HaMelech's Torah, it would be different. It's mentioned in Torah because it's our Torah also. A lot of people say, oh yeah, you know, we can't do korbanot anymore. How can... Learn Torah. It's much more valuable. Oh, you know, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast every uh, twice a week. Don't fast. You don't need to fast. Who told you to fast? Don't do anybody any favors. Unless you can fast and learn. If you can fast and learn, Ashrecha, do it. But most people, they fast half a day, they're half dead. They're half dead. They're like a corpse. They're waiting for the Chavat Kaddisha to show up. What happened? It's 12 o'clock. I haven't had the coffee yet. <laughs> it's 12, Okay, so how is it? No, no, I'm fasting. I'm a tzaddik. I'm fasting. No one asked you to be tzaddik. You want to be tzaddik? Go learn Torah. Go learn Torah. It's worth a lot more than any fast. It's worth more than all of the fast you're going to do from the beginning of your life all the way to the end of your life. Learn Torah for one hour. Now, if you can fast and learn Torah, meaning you're learning Torah with Isurim, that's a different story. So when different rabbis say, yeah, yeah, there's certain things you should do. If you want to really clean yourself up, you should fast maybe once a week, maybe once a month, maybe twice a week. Depends on your level. They're not saying fast and, and be asleep in bed like someone that's uh, you know, on, a, on a hospice center. No one is saying that. They're saying fast and learn Torah non-stop. That's what they're saying. If you can do that, then your fast is meaningful. 
But if you're just fat, you're just not eating, then you're just dieting. That's all you're doing. You're dieting. You're taking a diet. Kind of a difficult diet. Doesn't really last very long. One day. But anyway, it's important to know that your learning Torah is extremely valuable. You come to a shiur Torah, it's worth more than a thousand korbanot. It's worth more than all the fast you're ever going to do in your life. Assuming you're going to learn Torah for the sake of fulfilling it. But if you're going to learn Torah for the sake of going against the rabbi, if you're going to learn Torah for the sake of going against Hashem, if you're going to learn Torah for the sake of just finding one thing that you like and ignoring the rest, then you, my friend, are a Talmid Lo Agun. My Rav told me yesterday, he says, I wish we could create a system, a technology that could just simply tell us who's Agun, who's Lo Agun. Why? You won't waste any time because you don't know. They all look the same. They all look the same. They all have heads, shoulders, knees and toes, everything. They all look the same thing. You don't know who's Agun, Lo Agun until you get to know them. He says, I was talking to this one woman and uh, on the phone, she's asking, oh, we need blessing, blessing, uh, you know, da, 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 okay, so let me talk to the uh, husband. She goes, yeah, yeah, no, you have to understand because maybe what's happening to us is because he doesn't respect me enough. The husband doesn't respect me enough. Maybe he learned it from his father because his father didn't respect his mother. She so should tell him. Okay, I'll tell him, I'll tell him. So he tells him, listen, you have to keep Shabbat, you have to keep Talat Mishpacha, and you have to respect your wife. The minute he said respect your wife, she took the phone from him. She took the phone from the husband. See? See, I told you you have to respect me. You see, I told you you have to respect me. I told you. It's all because you don't respect me. That's why we have problems. What about the Shabbat, Talat Mishpacha, Kosher? What about all the other stuff? As if it was never said. So, Rabbi Fine continues again. So listen, you have to keep Shabbat. That's Mekorah Bracha. That's the, that's the foundation of Judaism. The Gemara says, Mekorah Emunah, the foundation of Emunah is Shabbat. What does it mean, foundation of Emunah? Without fulfilling Shabbat, there's no Judaism. A person that violates Shabbat, in essence, is considered an atheist. An idol worshiper. Same thing. Why? Because Shabbat is a mitzvah that's between you and the Creator. It doesn't affect anyone else. Eating kosher makes sense. Healthier, it's yummy. You know, it's not really something, uh, such a big deal to keep kosher. It's a big mitzvah in Shamaim, but it's not like somebody tells somebody, listen, you have to keep kosher. Like, oh, I can't believe it. No. Today's world is very easy to keep kosher. Even the prices have gone down so much that it's not that much of a price difference of any quality food. Unless you buy fast food that's full of donkeys, then, uh, you know, that's your problem. But in reality, if you have quality food, all quality food costs about the same now, kosher or not. Now, the other mitzvot that we have, a lot of them, they have logic behind them. That we can make sense. But Shabbat, why does Hashem say it's okay to drive six days, but it's not okay to drive on the seventh? What does he care? Why does he care if I drive? If he doesn't if he if driving is not good, then it should be not good the whole week. 
if building is not good, then it should, building should not be allowed the whole week. No, but he says specifically on this one day. And the reason why the Gemara says is because by you not creating on Shabbat, you are testifying that Hashem also stopped creating on the seventh day because He was the only one to witness the creation. There was nobody else to witness the creation. But by test by keeping Shabbat, you are acting as a witness, as if you were there. Meaning that if you don't keep Shabbat, you're saying that I wasn't there when the world was created, therefore I don't believe that you created it, Hashem. You're considered 100% an idol worshiper, an atheist, same thing. Atheism is also a form of idolatry, by the way. It's not uh, nothing. There's no like uh, other religion, atheism. It's believing in an idol. Who's the idol? You. person that's, a, that's an atheist believes that they are God. Like Paro. So Rabbi Meir says that a person that engages in Torah for its own sake, first and foremost, has to check themselves. What's the purpose of your learning? Are you learning for the sake of going against the Torah? Or are you learning for the sake of fulfilling the Torah? Now in this generation, a lot of the the, the word emunah has become a catchphrase. Emunah, emunah, every teacher, you want to get a crowd to come? Put emunah on the title. Put emunah on the flyer. Tzadik balair, Lelamed emunah. Tzadik, emunah. Eventually it's just going to be emunah. You want to get people to watch your video? Put emunah in the title. Emunah Mashiach. 5,000 views. You could be saying uh, stories about gummy bears. Doesn't make a difference. Why? He said emunah. He's a, he's a good rabbi. He's talking about emunah. But Torah says that Hashem Barach tells Am Yisrael, Alvayoti azavu v'otorati shamaru. I wish they leave me, but keep my mitzvot, keep my Torah. So Chachamim say, what do you mean? Why does Hashem say, I wish they leave me and keep my mitzvot, keep my Torah? He should say, if they have to leave something, leave me. Don't leave my Torah. Why is he saying, I wish they left me, but don't leave my Torah? The prophet says already almost 3,000 years ago that this catchphrase of emunah, false emunah, didn't start in the last 20 years. It's always been here. It's even written about in the Zohar Kadosh. It's even written about by many of the Chachamim. False emunah has always been around. Hashem says, I wish they leave this falsehood of emunah that they have in me and just keep my mitzvot. Because people think, if they believe in me, they don't have to keep mitzvot. No, no, I believe in Hashem more than you. Okay, so how come you don't keep his mitzvot? No, it's not relevant to the mitzvot. I just I connect to Hashem in a different way. But Hashem says, that's the way to connect him. Hashem says you have to do mitzvot. No, no, me and Hashem, we, we understand each other. Meaning people distort and manipulate the Torah and they pretty much think that the Torah 
and Hashem are separate. The Torah and Hashem are separate. As if you can believe in Hashem, but not follow the Torah at the same time. Hashem Itbarach tells Am Yisrael, as if Am Yisrael is a chatan. And he tells Am Yisrael, I only have, I only have one daughter. That's it. And I cannot separate myself from her. Now, of course, you're going to marry her. All I ask you to do is wherever you go, I'll pay for the whole thing. I'll pay for the hotel, I'll pay for the, uh, for, for, for the uh, castle, for the car, for the servants, for the food, I'll pay for everything. Oh, because I cannot separate myself from my daughter, please make me a room. Wherever you go, just make me a little tiny room. Four amot. So I could see my daughter. Who is the daughter? The Torah. Meaning, Hashemit Barach, that's unlimited, that has no creator, the creator that has no creator, that has no limitations, is telling you, I only have one limitation. What's the limitation? I cannot separate myself from the Torah. I can't separate myself from the Torah. So what kind of fool thinks that they should separate themselves from the Torah? What kind of fool thinks that there is a Shem without the Torah? Hashem Itbarach tells Am Yisrael, Alvayotia Zavu, I wish that they leave me, but keep my Torah. Meaning, leave this false sense of emunah thinking that you can have a relationship, a good relationship with me without a Torah. Let them just keep the Torah. Why? Because if they start keeping the Torah, then they're back to me anyway. But if they just have me, it's not me. It's some idol they created in their mind. Now, aside from Emunah, another thing that has caught the attention of the public today is loving Hashem. It's a mitzvah from the Torah that you're obligated to love Hashem. And again, the same people, the same Am Yisrael repeatedly misunderstands what is actually being taught here. Yes, you're obligated to love Hashem, but there's a way to love Hashem. The problem is today is that most people do not know the definition of love. Hence, the divorce rates being 70% plus in the Western world. Hence, people not understanding how to say thank you to each other. thinking that you're only going to do something if the other person is going to give you something back, as if you're supposed to uh, be in business with your wife or husband. Oh, what would you buy me for my birthday? Why do I have to wait for your birthday to buy you something? Why do I have to buy you something for your birthday? If you only buy your wife something for her birthday, you hate your wife, by the way. You don't love your wife. If you wait the entire year, to buy your wife a present, you don't love your wife. You just wanted to shut up. Now you know that if you don't buy her anything on her birthday, ooh, wow, what, she's going to give you a headache until next birthday. So I was like, ah, oh, hey, 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 take, take this, take this bracelet, take this, just leave me alone for another year. It's not my fault you were born today. If you wait the whole year to buy your wife a present, you don't love your wife, my friend. You love yourself. 
A husband that loves his wife buys her a present of every opportunity he has. If he has the ability, if he has the opportunity, he does it. But a present doesn't mean you have to buy her a car or a $2,000 bracelet every week. If there's true love between the couple, a present could literally be a flower you took from the, the street that would belong to no one. It was a public property. You took a flower, you gave it to her. A present can be a plastic ring. You just found it cute. A present can be some tiny little toy that costs $3. A present could also be a car and a house and whatever. The point being is that when there's real love between a couple, you don't wait the whole year to buy a present. If you do, there's no love. People don't know what love is. They say, oh, why are you getting divorced? Oh, I don't love him anymore. What do you mean? How do you, how do you just stop loving somebody? How does that happen? What, are you lost it on the way to the store maybe? You forgot it in the drawer maybe in the office? Go get it. No, no, I'll wait. I'll wait for you here. I'll wait for you here. No, why you go get it? What do you mean? I, I, I don't love them anymore. If you ever love them, you can't stop even if you want to. Now, what does it mean to love? Love, Rabotai, Yekarim, when we say, Ve'afta et Hashem Elokecha, everybody says, no, no, I don't want to be afraid of God. I don't want to be afraid of God. I don't want genom. I don't want punishment. I don't want, I don't want to talk about that stuff even. Rabbi, you're too scary. You're too scary. I'm going to go to Emunah Center. I'm going to go somewhere else. They talk about Emunah and loving Hashem. As if there's a different teachings than what we teach. As if it's a different Torah. Loving Hashem, if you understood what loving Hashem is, then you could understand what it means to love your spouse. Then you could understand what it means to love your child. But if you don't understand, then you won't understand anything else. Usually it's the opposite. You have to understand loving your kid and your spouse and then eventually Hashem. No, here it's actually understanding Hashem. Understanding how to love Hashem will teach you how to love anything else if you truly love it. There are certain people that if I, when I say the word love, immediately, subconsciously you're thinking about. If you're not thinking about anyone, then we need some work. We need some work. Why? You're, you're a very, very big part of your life missing. You have to love somebody. Aside from yourself. Aside. I know everybody loves themselves. I understand. It's very easy to love you. You're so wonderful. But you have to love other people too. But if you don't love anyone, it's a very, very big part of your life that's missing. But how do you know if you love somebody? How do you know if you love Hashem? Everybody says, I want to love Hashem. I want, I, don't want, I want to talk about only loving Hashem. If you love Hashem, then you are learning Torah Lishma. Then you are fulfilling Torah Lishma. Meaning, you're learning and fulfilling Torah. You're learning and fulfilling all of the mitzvot without ever considering for a second what's your reward, what you're going to get for it, if you're going to get anything for it, if you're going to get anything in this world, if you're going to get anything in the next world, 
if you're going to get anything at all, without considering any type of reward whatsoever, without wanting anything. That's love. Love, Rabotai Karim, is when you do something just because. Just because you love. That's love. If you're doing something for a cause, for a reason, Nagua, you're biased. Doesn't mean you don't love. It just means it's biased love. It's love with a condition. I love you, honey, as long as you look the way you look. But if you're going to lose an eye, an arm, and a leg in some uh, horrible accident, I'm not really sure I'm going to continue loving you. Not really sure. I'm going to love you from a distance with a new wife. I'm going to love the idea of you, what we used to be. That's how some people are. Something happens to, to somebody, they leave them. At the worst possible time in their life, they leave them. Why? Evil people love themselves the whole time. Love, Rabotai, Karim is a feeling that you have. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not even simple, can be, cannot be explained as an emotion. An emotion is an understatement. A love is just a way of being. Love is just a way of being. Meaning, this person that you love, you can never see a minute of your life without them in it. That's love. You cannot say, oh yeah, I can't wait to go to the game with my friend. No, that's not love. You have a problem. There's a problem. There's a, there's a, there's a little cheduk, a little germ in your love. If, if you can't wait to get away from your love, there's a problem. I'm not saying you always have to be next to each other physically. What I'm saying is that you should never look forward to separation. If you're looking forward to separation, there's a problem. There's a, there's a, a germ of some kind, a cancer of some kind, a virus in your love. If your love depends on something, I love her as long as she looks a certain way. I love him as long as he has money. I love him as long as everybody else loves him. But as soon as everybody hates him and starts throwing tomatoes at him, I don't love him as much. Then your love is biased. And it may not be love at all. If you serve Hashem only because you are expecting Him to give you good things, you're not serving Him out of love. You may not even be serving Him at all. You're serving yourself. That's why in the beginning of the Mishnah to Avot, Antigonos Isocho, first chapter of Avot, says, serve the master as if there is no reward. Not that there isn't a reward. There is one. But serve him out of love. That's the ultimate serving. Now, how do you know you're serving Hashem out of love? When you have no consideration for yourself as far as, I can't do it. There's no such thing as, I can't do it. If you love her, you'll do whatever you can to do it. If you love him, you'll do whatever you can to do it. Now, even though you hate this dish, you're still going to make it for him. Why? Because he likes it. But I hate it. It makes me vomit. Good. You'll make it for him, though. Because he likes it. 
He likes it, you're going to make it for him. I'm going to go and I'm going to sit with them and, uh, and listen to this rabbi together. But I hate this rabbi. But I love him. So I'm going to sit and listen to this rabbi because of him. When you love somebody, you do a bunch of stuff that normally you wouldn't do. But you're not one of those people that does it with a chamutz face. With a sour face. Like the whole time you make sure you know, listen, I'm only doing this for you. I'm only doing this for you. I'm only, it's better you don't do it. Stay home. You're going to constantly remind me you're doing this for me, you're doing this for me, you're doing it for me. Don't do anything, thank you. It's better off you don't do it. Meaning, if you love the person so much, you're going to do it and you're going to make them feel that you love it just as much. You love it just as much. Meaning you have to somewhat live a lie for the sake of love. Loving Hashem means that you're going to serve Him and fulfill every single one of His mitzvot. Not because you're going to go to Gan Eden or you're going to avoid Gehenom or you want to be saved by Mashiach. No, no, no. Because you simply want to bring pleasure to the Creator that you owe everything to. Because you love Him. You're going to be modest because you love Him. You're going to pray with all of your heart because you love Him. You're going to do a bunch of things that you don't really feel like doing. That if you had the choice, you do something else. Instead of going to Bikinesi, you go to the beach. Instead of wearing this outfit that covers every little inch of your body, you'd wear something that doesn't cover so much. If it was up to us, we'd walk around naked. And that's what this generation is getting to now. They want to get back to Gan Eden, without Gan Eden. To love Hashem means that you're serving Him without considering yourself at all. You become an Eved Hashem. In Parashat Lech Lecha, we met Avraham Avinu. And Avraham Avinu had a special Siyat Dishmaya. He met Hashem at a very young age, at three years old, but the Rambam says that only at 40 years old did Avram become Avram. Only at 40 years old was he Avram Avinu that was considered someone that's a Baal Emuna. So Rav Spivak says, this is a very simple, straightforward lesson to teach us that if you're going to gain emunah, you're definitely not going to be faster than Avraham Avinu. It's not so easy to get emunah. You don't just go to the shiur and get emunah. Oh yeah, yeah, now I have emunah after the shiur. Avraham Avinu had to work on himself for 37 years to finally get emunah. But this Avraham Avinu had extraordinary siyad dishmai, extraordinary things. In the parasha, it talks about how he hears about how Lot was captured. So Avram, without asking too many questions, arms his disciples and it says in uh, chapter 14, verse 14, and when Avram heard that his kingsmen, meaning Lot, 
was taken captive, he armed his disciples who had been born in his house, 318, and pursued them as far as Dan. And then he went against these kings and he destroyed all of them. Now Chazal says that this 318, is the same gimatria, numerical value for Eliezer. Meaning that Avraham did not actually go with 318 soldiers. He went to fight four giant armies, four Americas, four Chinas, four Saddam Hussein, four of them, with their armies, with who? With him and Eliezer. Two people. And not only did he won, did he win, he destroyed them, demolished them. I mean, this is a miracle beyond nature. Even supernatural is not enough to describe it. In fact, even if there was 318 soldiers, it's still a miracle. Why? 318 against four armies, each one with millions and millions of people. I mean, if you read the Midrash, you see how many people they had versus even if it's 318 people. It's like you should have killed you in 10 minutes. This is a special siyat nishmaya. This is a special blessing from heaven. This is, in essence, Hashem fighting your war. Adonai lachem lachem v'atem techarishun. Hashem is going to fight your wars. You shall remain silent. Exodus 14.14. Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael. How do you get to a point where Hashem fights your wars? We have to become like Avram. How is it like Avram? The prophet Isaiah says, V'ata Yisrael avdi Yaakov asher b'charticha zera Avram o'avri. He says, but you, O Israel, my servant, Yaakov, Israel is, ya- is Yaakov, it's named the same, you whom I've chosen, the offspring of Avram who loved me. You are my servant. Avram didn't just say he loved Hashem, but Hashem testifies, Hashem testifies for Avram. He says, Avram, he loved me. Avram loved me. So it's not just, uh, oh yeah, I, I tell Hashem I love him all the time. Don't do Hashem any favors. You don't need to say it actually. Hashem knows. Without you saying it. Hashem knows if you love him or not. How? Based on your actions. Based on your actions. What's on your mind? When you say, wow, wow, what are you thinking? Think for a second. Take a second to think right now and say, wow. What are you thinking when you say, wow? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Wow, it's a lot of money. Wow, she's pretty. Wow, he's this. Wow. What are you thinking about? What's, what is making you say, wow? That wow is the distance between you and loving Hashem. Whatever you're saying wow to, that's the barrier between you and Hashem. You're impressed by something other than Hashem. That's the problem. You want to love Hashem? You have to work on that wow. You have to exchange it. 
serving the Creator out of love means that you're not serving Him for the sake of reward, but literally serving Him for the sake of serving Him. Once a person gets to such a point, the Mishnah continues and says this person merits many things. He gets a lot of things. What kind of things does he get? The creation of the entire world is worthwhile for his sake alone. Not only Zuchelet Varim Arbe, Velo Od, Ela Shekola Olam Kulo Kedai Hulo. The entire creation is worth it now. Why? Because he exists. The Kalara Bati says, such a person is called Auv. This Mishnah says, Kol Aulam Kulo Kedahulo Nikrarea Auv. Hashem calls this person a friend, a beloved. The whole world is worth it for him. The whole world was worth it just for Avraham of you to exist. The whole world was worth it just for you, for you to say Amen once. You to say Amen one time in your life, everything was worth it. Yetziat Mitzrayim, the pogrom, the inquisition, the holocaust, the ups, the downs, the divorces, the cancers, the AIDS, the malaria, the, all the problems of the world was worth it. Why you said Amen one time in your life? Needless to say, it's worth it if you learn to offer a couple of hours. Lishma, for the sake of Hashem. Why? Because Hashem says, if you're such a person, you're considered auv. You're considered my beloved. You're considered like Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, I testify. Hashem says, I testify. Avraham Avinu loved me. I testify. Avraham Avinu for sure loved me. You learn Torah Lishma, you love me too. And Kalara Bati says, because he loves me, I love him. Because he learns Lishma, because he learns Torah for the sake of really doing it, fulfilling it, becoming better, improving his actions, improving her actions. She's modest with clothes, but now she has to be modest with her mouth. He's generous in his heart, but now he has to be generous with his pocket too. Point is, fulfilling, fulfilling what we're learning. He says, because he loves me, I love him. And if I love him, I will not let anyone be in control of him. Just me. Hashem says, anyone that learns and fulfills my Torah for its own sake alone, because he loves me, gets to such a level that no one in the world will be allowed to disturb them, will be allowed to be in control of them. They will not have to rely on anyone, not for a handout, not for a favor, not for a loan, nothing. They'll deal with me directly. Now, of course, everyone has some type of a boss. Sometimes the boss is the wife, sometimes the boss is the boss of the company, Sometimes the boss is the baby that doesn't let you sleep. 
Everyone has a boss. What Hashem says is that the difference between someone that loves me and that I could testify versus someone who doesn't is the person is everyone has the boss. The difference is since they love me, I love them back. So they'll love the boss. So whatever messenger is going to be in the way, whether it's their kid or their husband or the wife or their manager or supervisor or a customer, whatever, it's always going to be good. It's going to be a healthy relationship. It's going to be positive. Things are going to be good. Things are going to be smooth. Why? I'm in control of all of it and I'm not going to let it go bad. But if we have a bad relationship and I don't, I don't feel the love, I don't feel the love from you. I see you learning Torah or you're not learning Torah at all. Or you're not learning or you're learning Torah for the wrong reason. Whichever one, whichever one happens, then you're going to have a boss anyway. Only then you're going to rely on them. And unfortunately, the nature of man is evil. The nature of man, the inner nature of man is evil. That's what he says in Torah. The nature of man, Pasat Noach, Hashem says, the nature of man is evil. Moshe Rabbeinu says, the nature of man is evil. Without Torah, without Hashem, it's evil. So you can have a boss anyway. But now, he's in charge of you. Meaning, evil's in charge of you. So now the customer is going to annoy you every five minutes. The kid's going to annoy you every five minutes. This was, Everyone's going to annoy you, drive you crazy. Lawsuits, all types of problems, sickness, all types of Hashem, Yerachem, Kapat, Amonot. A life full of disaster. Why? You don't love Hashem. He says a person that fulfills my Torah for the sake of, of loving me, Mamash fulfills it blindly, without asking too many questions. Oh, are you sure? Maybe there's a different thing. Maybe there's this. Maybe there's that. You know, people that are constantly looking for an excuse not to do. Yeah, but, you know, not everybody does what you're saying. Who cares what they do that they don't do? Does, does the Torah say you have to do it? Yes. Okay. So you have to do it. Yeah, but nobody else does it. So, there's a place in Gainum for all of them. What's the problem? What's the problem? I don't understand. Everybody does it, everybody doesn't do it. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make it right or wrong. What makes it right or wrong is whether it says in the Torah. If a person starts looking at things as simple as that, black or white, he's on his road to loving Hashem. Why? It's much easier to love Hashem when we're complete with them. When we're simple. We just accept things as they are. And even our own flaws, they listen, I have too much of a yetzerah to do this now. I have too much of a yetzerah to put on clothes now. I have too much of a yetzerah to be generous. I like my money. I like it in my pocket instead of the rabbi's pocket. I like my money in my pocket instead of the homeless guy's pocket. Yeah, he's probably going to use it for drugs. If somebody's going to get drugs, I'll buy it for myself. Everybody has an excuse for why they don't do what they do. Reality is, Rabotai, is a person needs to start thinking, what does Hashem want? What does Hashem want? Yes, He doesn't deserve what you're giving Him. But would Hashem give Him anyway? In reality, do we deserve everything that Hashem gives us? Being generous, when Hashem says to be generous... It doesn't mean be generous with a person that's homeless. 
People think you're supposed to be generous with the guy that's homeless. The guy, oh yeah, I gave him five dollars, it changed his life. But if the guy comes from a, uh, he has money, or he doesn't really need as much help, like, no, no, somebody else will help him. Or he's okay already. Being generous, Abutai, is looking at things from a different perspective. From a perspective of where is there a need? Where is there more potential for more Kiddush Hashem? The Mishnah says that Hashem creates the world for people who love Him. And He calls them Re'ah. What's Re'ah? Rabbi Matityahu says that one can call himself a friend of Hashem. Like a friend, call, Hashem calls him, oh, he's my friend, he's my friend. What's Re'ah? What's friend? Not friend like we're friends, like we go out for drinks together. No. Re'ah means, Rabbi Matityahu explains, is a person who thinks of his friend constantly. It's called Israel. He's called his friend, meaning he's constantly on his mind. If Hashem is constantly on your mind, then you're constantly on his mind. Obviously, he's always thinking about all of his creations. There's no there's no separation between Hashem and his thinking. But here we're talking about where when a person thinks of Hashem constantly. That means he's constantly thinking about how to serve him. Hashem in return says, He is all about serving me. So I'm constantly thinking of how to serve him. Meaning, give him. Give him back. Give him Parnassah, give him a good wife, give him a good husband, whatever it is. I'm constantly looking for more ways to give him good. So here we see that the mind of Hashem is very, very different than us. And if it wasn't for the Torah, we simply would not even understand even a, 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 an ounce of what we're trying to understand here. A lot of people have problems with the Torah because they think that the obligation of the Torah is old, it's not relevant, it's not this, it's not that. But people that say that simply do not understand the beauty of the Torah. In the Gemara, Maseret Moed Katan, it gives us one of the laws that we have in the Torah that just shows you how much more beautiful the Torah is from any other religion, from any other teachings, from any other book, from any other thought. You know, in today's world, everybody thinks that because they're donating some money, to saving uh, the dogs that only have two legs, or the dolphins that don't have uh, fins, or the butterflies that can't fly, or some strange foundation that they start, people think that makes them good. They see a person half dead in the street, they walk past them. Like, no, no, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he's going to kill me. And there's been constant tests, constant documentaries about it, of how people literally, they show how... Careless people are about each other. They care more about their dogs or somebody else's dog than a person that they see that's lying on the street. If a person that's lying on the street is wearing a suit and he's clean, they'll assume that he has something to, uh, there's uh, something's wrong and they'll help him. 
But if the person is dirty and uh, looks like he's homeless, they won't help him. They'll let him die in the middle of the street. This is not just in America. This is all over the world. The point is, is that without Torah, we don't even know how to treat each other. But we think that we're good because we do things that are above normal for the rest of creation. For the butterflies and the bees and and the dogs and the cats. We think that's what makes us good. All that makes us is very similar to the Nazis. Rav Wasserman and Rav Shalom one of the students said, Kvodarav, how come you're always against the uh, Germans? I mean, they're, they're the most polite people there is today. They even treat their dogs better than we treat people. When Arab Wasserman saw how the Germans treat their dogs, he says, there will come a day that you will see those same people that treat their dogs that way murder men, innocent men, innocent women and children in cold blood. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. At least six million of our brothers and sisters were murdered by the people that were so-called polite. Their politeness, the fakeness of their politeness was so deep that when they would put the Jews into the gas chambers, they would say thank you. Each Jew went into the gas chamber, come in this way, they would go in, thank you, thank you, thank you. They would tell them thank you in German. People think that that makes you polite because you say thank you. Because you gave the dog a treat. That's not what makes you polite. That's not what makes you good. The Gemara Maseret Moed Katan, page 27a, says, Tanu Rabbanan, Barishona Ayu Molichim Bebet Ha'evel, Ashirim Beklatot Shel Kesef Beshel Zahav, Ve'anim Besale Nitzarim Shel Arava Klufa. Ve'ayu Anim Itbayishim, Itkinu Shiyu Akol Mevi'in Besale Nitzarim Shel Arava Klufa Mipne Kvodam Shel Anim. Barah says that originally when we would go to the house of someone that was mourning, someone died, it's a mitzvah to go mourn with them. Shlomo HaMelech says, if you have a choice to go to a bet simcha, to a place of celebration, to a party, bar mitzvah, wedding, so on, or go to a bet event, someone had died, someone's family member died or something like that, you go to his house, you go to to the place where someone died. Why? That's what's going to wake you up to do tshuva. Realizing that life is very short. Going to a party is not going to make anybody do tshuva. As much as people like to think that dancing and screaming and yelling is going to make you do tshuva, it doesn't make a single person on earth do tshuva. Maybe make you have fun, but you're not going to do tshuva that way. But originally when we would go to the house of mourning, the wealthy people would deliver 
the food. It's a mitzvah to bring the, the, the mourner food. He's not allowed to cook for himself. He's not allowed to order pizza. You have to bring him food. So the wealthy people would fulfill this mitzvah by bringing the food in baskets that themselves were, the basket itself was silver and gold, meaning they would give him a gift too. They would give him silver and gold. And the poor people will bring the mourner baskets that uh, were made out of uh, twigs, peeled twigs, like simple, very simple baskets that you buy for $2 in the store. And the rabbis made a law that this is forbidden. What's forbidden? It's forbidden to bring the, the... Two dollar twig, right? A two dollar basket. Why? Because listen, I got this rich guy. He's gonna bring me a golden basket. What do I need your nonsense? Two dollars. Keep it for yourself. You need the, you need to help yourself with your two dollars, right? No. Wrong. Wrong. I'm trying to wake you up a little bit. They outlawed the golden baskets. They outlawed the silver baskets. They said it's forbidden to bring those baskets. Everybody has to bring the simple $2 basket. Everyone. If you're Bill Gates or you're his friend Paul Allen that just died last week at 65 years old with $60 billion that is going to waste now. Or you're some guy that literally only has $2 to his name. All of you bring the simple basket. Why? Because the Torah forbids us from embarrassing each other. Someone that embarrasses his fellow in public has no share of the world to come. Now most people think, oh yeah, this is just assuming you're not going to embarrass the guy by saying, calling him a name in public. Hey, you fool! Oh, that's embarrassing. Okay, you just lost your Allah Abba. No! No, that's not what it also means. It means you also have to be conscious of how you behave and how what your behavior is going to affect other people even if you don't mean it. Meaning, it has nothing to do with what you just do directly. Of course, it's only a fool thinks that you're allowed to embarrass people in public. What we're talking about here is that a Jew, a kosher Jew that loves Hashem, that means he loves his children. If he loves his children, he's going to be careful of how he treats every one of his children, every one of his creations, to such an extent that he's only going to operate in a way where he's going to think, wait, if I do this, is anyone in the room going to be affected in a negative way? If I come around and I do whatever I want to do, if I come to a lecture and I start talking on my phone, now the guy next to me, he's not really listening, he's sleeping. The other guy, he's far from me. He doesn't hear my call. This one, that one, this one, that one. Is anyone going to be going to be affected in a negative way? A kosher person would never even have their phone on in a lecture. Why? Because chas shalom, someone sees that person playing with their phone and think it's allowed. He didn't actually talk on the phone on the lecture. You didn't talk on it. But you just checked the time. 
But the guy thought, oh, he's checking a text message because maybe the text message is more interesting than the lecture. A kosher person is going to constantly look for ways of how he's affecting the people around him. Constantly. And that's why the Chachamim said that even though even though it's very nice for the rich people to bring their golden baskets and their silver baskets and so on, this could potentially bring shame to the poor people. But what if poor people don't come? What if there's no poor people? So are we we then allowed to bring the golden baskets? No poor people showed up. There's this town... It's like Beverly Hills. Everyone's rich. Even the homeless guy is rich. The homeless guy lives in a $2 million house. Everybody's rich. Oh, so can I bring over there? Can I bring the golden basket? No. Why? What if the poor person from the town over hears? Oh, yeah, you know, in that town, they bring golden baskets. Oh, yeah, we, we can't afford gold. Only gold we had is my grandmother had a gold tooth. He's going to be embarrassed, miskin. He's going to think about his 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 unfortune, his lack of fortune. So the rabbis instituted a law that forced everyone to bring the same simple basket out of concern and honor of the poor people. The Torah is not just an instruction set of how you should live for your own sake, but how you should live for the sake of the people around you. A person that's only concerned about themselves is a person that has no idea what it means to be a Jew. As the Gemara says, if a person does not show, know how to show gratitude to his fellow, eventually he's not going to know how to show gratitude to Hashem himself. The person that is going to be ungrateful to his friend will eventually be ungrateful to Hashem Yitbarach. The Mishnah continues and it says, or the Gemara continues and it says, there was another Minag they used to have. Originally they would serve drinks in the house of the mourner and the wealthy people would serve in white glass. White glass in those days was very expensive. Not like today, you could buy it at the dollar store. In those days, glass was very different, very expensive. So the wealthy people would serve these vessels in white glass. But the poor people would serve it in colored glass. Colored glass was uh, was uh, cheaper. But the poor people would feel ashamed. Why? There's a difference between me and the rich person. Even though we both have the same Torah. Hashem chose for them to have money and for me not to have money. And this would bring shame to the poor people. So the rabbis instituted a law that forbid this from continuing and said that everyone who serves drinks at the mourner's home has to serve it in colored glass. Why? They were concerned for the honor of the poor people. So you see from here, what makes a person good is not what they think of themselves. It has more to do of how they treat the people around them. 
if a person walks around as if he's the only person in creation, as if the whole world revolves around him, that person has no idea what it means to be connected to a creator. He's living an imaginary life. So when Hashem says that He wants us to connect to His Torah at the ultimate level and learn Torah Lishma, it's not just learn the Alachot in order for you to fulfill them, but learn them in a way that you see that the Creator will be happy with the way you're fulfilling them. And that's a very, very different way of learning. A person that just wants to learn for the sake of doing usually focuses on one subject and one subject alone. A lot of people like to learn when they learn halakha. You see countless batikneset have a program where people learn halakha after the tefillah for a half hour, an hour. And you see them sitting there for a half hour, for days, for years, learning Allah, learning the law. Do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you ask them, what do I do on this Allah? And they know it like a computer. Computer, it's like Rabbi Google or Rabbi this person, same thing. They know the Allah. But... They don't know how to treat a human being. You ask them a question, they'll give you the answer, but they'll give you the answer with a face. Like, what, you don't know this? Wow, really, you don't know it? Ah, I don't understand. How do you not know? It's so easy. So easy. They make you feel like you're a little nothing. Why? Because all they do is learn halakha. They didn't learn how to be a human being. They didn't learn musal. If you're learning Torah properly, you have to learn all parts of the Torah in order to serve the Creator at the ultimate level. I spoke to one of my students uh, a few days ago. We talked about a study program. People ask all the time what they should study. It's not rocket science, Rabotai. You have to study everything. But if you want some type of structure, this is what you're supposed to do. First and foremost, it's Alachai and Shulchan Aruch to learn the weekly parasha with commentary. You have to learn the weekly parasha with commentary. Realistically, you have to read it three times. Twice you should read the parasha and the third time with commentary. Which means that every day you're going to spend a little bit of time learning the parasha. Commentary means learning it with the commentary by Rashi. Originally it was on kilos, but the Chachamim said that Rashi is fine as well, especially since most people don't know how to read on kilos and don't understand it. So read the parasha with commentary. That already gives you at least 15 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes a day worth of learning. In addition to that, you have to learn halakha. You have to learn how to be a Jew. You have to learn what to do. What you should start with is Alachot Shabbat. And the reason why is because Alachot Shabbat is the difference between life and death. Even though you should learn the Alachot of blessings, 
That's the first Gemara is Masechet uh, Brachot. If you forget a blessing or you make a mistake in a blessing, it's not a death penalty. But if you make a mistake on Shabbat, it's a death penalty. So first thing you need to know, you need to learn Alachot Shabbat. Every day, you learn a couple of Alachot, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever it is, spend 15 minutes a day learning Alachot. In 15 minutes, you read, let's say, for example, if you're Sephardic, Yalkut, uh, Yalkut Yosef in English or in Hebrew. I'm sure they have uh, many, many more options, even if you're Ashkenazi, available on Art School, Feldheim, and other places. Many of the Chachamim wrote a very simple way of learning halacha. If you're going to only spend 15 to 30 minutes learning halacha, don't learn it from the Shulchan Aruch. Why? Because Shulchan Aruch requires you to delve into things to understand them much deeper. Don't learn, don't think that you can learn halacha from the Gemara. Gemara is not to learn halacha. Gemara is to learn how to think. The halacha you learn from the Puskim. But you have to learn in the beginning stages, if you're Baal Tshuva, convert, you have to learn it, bottom line, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. That's what you need to learn, just to get through the day. So you spend 15 to 30 minutes a day learning halacha. So now you have weekly parasha and halacha. The third thing is that you must learn, is you must learn musal. You must learn at least 15 to 30 minutes a day of musal. What's Musar? Our lectures. You learn our lectures, that's your Musar. Why? Because every shiur is at least one or two of you that get it on the head. Reminds you that you're supposed to do tshuva. Reminds me that I'm supposed to do tshuva. That's what Musar is. Musar is reminding us that we're still trying to refine ourselves in order to become diamond. It's not uh, judging anyone. We're not a judge, we're not a jury. What Musar is, is reminding us that we're all trying to become the diamonds that Hashem wants us to be. And in order to become a diamond, you must go under pressure. You must be cut a few times. It hurts to become a diamond. But it's worth it in the end. Become priceless. So, the only way to do that is by learning Musar. There's countless Musar books out there if you want to read from a book, whether it's Path of the Just, or it's a Netive uh, O, or Or um, Israel or Chovot uh, HaLevavot, there's countless other ones out there that you can learn Musar books at least 15 to 30 minutes a day. If you are at a point where you've done, you're doing all three of those already for a while, you're learning the weekly parasha on a regular basis, you're learning Halakha on a regular basis, you're learning Musar on a regular basis for an extended period of time, then it's time for you as a man to add Gemara. You have to add Gemara, again, at least another half hour a day, if not more. Of course, everything should be as much as possible. But you see, just to learn the basics, the basics, you can't get away with less than an hour a day of Torah. You can't get away. Even if you're going to the minimum of minimum, these four things require no less than an hour. In reality, it should be an hour of each one. But the minimum minimum requires you to, to study at least an hour a day. So for all of those people who say, when I tell them, listen, you have to learn Torah, it's like, oh, can I just learn for, for like 10 minutes? Hear like a video clip, they send me a WhatsApp and I'm fine? Yeah, you're fine if it's your first day, your first week, your first month, even your first six months. 
of realizing that you're a Jew. After that, it's not enough. Why? Because you're not going to learn enough on that one video clip. So it's important to know that these are four things. A woman should focus on the laws of modesty, the laws of Tarat Mishpacha, the laws of Shabbat, the laws of child-rearing, how to raise children. Those are the main things that a woman should focus on instead of the Gemara. But the key is, Rabotai, is that all of these teachings, if you take them and you're disciplined and you take them seriously, you're going to realize that each time you learn a little bit more, you're coming closer and closer to Hashem. You're coming closer and closer to really loving Him and not just saying you love Him to people. And for all of those people who say they love Hashem, first of all, you should know you're full of it. Because if you love the Shem, you will be at a completely different level. You would have no struggles within regards to any of the mitzvot. Because like we said, loving, loving someone means that you're doing something just because. Just because. Not because uh, of any other reason. So if you're struggling with a certain mitzvah, whether you can't get away from a certain hobby that's not allowed, or you can't get away from a certain woman that's not allowed, or a certain other sin that's not allowed, and you're having a struggle, that means you don't love Hashem. That means you love yourself, and you're struggling with a certain issue. But that doesn't make you bad. It makes It's okay, it's normal. But don't start screaming to people, no, no, I love Hashem, I love Hashem. First, you have to learn what it means to love. And the key is, is that Hashem put us in this world in order to reach the level of loving Him. Because if we get to a level of loving Him, not only does He give us the special protection that we talked about, not only does He give us the special blessings that we talked about, but also all of the sins we've ever made in our life turn into mitzvot. It's the ultimate reward in this world. The ultimate reward in this world is where Hashem takes all of the sins you've ever made in your life and turns them into mitzvot. Meaning it's, 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 it's definitely a worthwhile endeavor to try to get there. But you're not going to get there overnight. First, you have to fear Hashem. Serve Him purely out of fear. Then, respect. Honor the awe, the majesty of Hashem. Get to the highest level. And ultimately, get to love. Realistically, Anyone that ever gets there usually has certain things they're purely afraid of, certain things they love, but it's always a balance. There's never just one or the other. But the key is, Rabotai, is that Hashem gave us this mission because we could achieve it. Every single one of us could achieve it. But it's only if we get out of our own way. We, are, we have to start getting out of our own way. We have to stop telling ourselves this horrible mantra, I can't do it. This is too hard. This is too this. This is too that. And do it. Just do it. Failed? Do it again. Failed? Do it again. And keep doing it. Stop saying, oh, maybe I should do this. Or maybe I should do that. Maybe I should go here. Maybe I should go... Maybe nothing. Get the word maybe out of your vocabulary. Either do it or be quiet. We have to move forward. Why? Because we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. 
There's a lot more to this Mishnah, but I'll leave the rest of the time for, for anybody's questions. Before I finish, uh, just so you know, the uh, also I brought extra cards because the uh, card, Baruch Hashem, Mesiyad Bishmai, we had an idea to put a uh, this um, picture that if you take a picture of it with your phone, it'll take you to the app. So you could take, you could give these business cards out, not so people call me because I don't pick up the phone anyway, but so they can look at the back of the card and they go to the app and download the app and listen to Shuret Torah. So I bought a bunch of them extra. This you can literally give out like you give CDs. Um, so take the uh, take the cards. I have some extra CDs in uh, in the car for anybody that wants to give them out. Uh, again, free as usual, same price. Uh, there's some other CDs coming out soon. But uh, the key is, Rabotai, is that we have to start bringing some more people. We have to start making some more lectures. We have to start making more Baalei Tshuva because Am Yisrael needs to become bigger. And by Am Yisrael, we're talking about the Am Yisrael Shomer Torah and Mitzvot. The best thing you can do for someone that passed, that left this world, is making another Jew, a Jew, for his sake. Getting another Jew to do tshuva. Another person that was born a Jew, but then messed it up, get him to do tshuva. That's the biggest thing you could do for somebody that died. You could read Kaddish for 900 years. You could learn Torah. You could do mitzvot. You could build a sukkah. You could do everything you could do. It's never going to be as big as returning one of Hashem's children back home. So if you want to actually help somebody that passed away, yeah, there's a nice lecture. You can mention the names in the beginning of the lecture. At the end of the lecture, some people make a poster. You see, sometimes they have a, uh, a shield, and you see there's the rabbi's little face, and then there's a poster, half the stage. Ilui nishmat, such and such. Okay, it's nice. But that money you spent on the poster, the 500 bucks you spent on the poster, if you would have actually given it for Kiruv, it would have actually helped the Judah Juba. That's much more valuable for that person than you writing his name on some poster that's going to go in the garbage in a few days. So Rabotai, it's time for us to start taking things into account. Why? If you love Hashem, you have to start loving Him with actions, not just with words. Any questions? Betzalel has a few. Yes, yes. I mean, yes and no. Uh, they're two different things. Kvot Chachamim and Emunat Chachamim are two different things. But Kvot uh, Chachamim means that you're honoring a someone that has Torah, someone that teaches Torah, someone that learns Torah on a regular basis, not necessarily because you like him, but because you respect the Torah that he possesses. You respect the Torah that he possesses. It's as if you're looking at a Sefer Torah and you're looking at him and to you it's the same thing. The Gemara Moed Katan says, when Chizkiyahu, Chizkiyahu Amelech died, they buried him with a Sefer Torah. First and last time such a thing happened. They said, why was it, why was it allowed to bury Chizkiyahu Amelech with a Sefer Torah? They said, Chizkiyahu and a Sefer Torah, same thing. Bemet, same thing. They meant same thing. Like Sefer Torah, Chizkiyahu, same thing. Kodesh Kodeshim, Chizkiyahu, Kodesh Kodeshim. You can't tell the difference. 
such a such a person. This is this is what they did after he died. Imagine how he was when he lived. So now, when somebody possesses Torah, somebody learns Torah, and you disrespect him, the way you visualize it is, it's like you took the Torah, you put it on the floor, and you started dancing on it. If you went against somebody that has Torah, I don't mean he has to be, he wrote 10 books, no, 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 just somebody that studies on a regular basis. A little avrech, 16, 17 years old. Little kid goes to yeshiva, 16, 17 years old, takes Torah seriously, learns all day. You made fun of him, you disrespected him, you just told him, ah, you don't know what you're talking about, something like that. It's like you took the Torah and you started, you threw oil on it, started dancing on it, spit on it, same thing. That's Kvot Chachamim. Kvot Chachamim means you're going to be careful with the Chacham, no matter the size, like you would be careful with the Sefer Torah. Sefer Torah was so careful that you're not even allowed to touch it with your fingers. It's a sin to touch the Sefer Torah, the actual cloth, the actual scroll itself. The outside, the exterior, you're allowed. It's, it's a plastic or metal, whatever it is. But the actual cloth itself, you're not allowed to touch with your finger. It's a sin from the Torah. Unfortunately, there's many, many fools that touch the Sefer Torah thinking it's a mitzvah. Every Shabbat, you see it in 90% of the Batekhnes that I've been in, you see that they touch the Sefer Torah, they think it's during the Aliyah. Oh, don't touch the Sefer Torah. You want to scream at them. Don't touch it. You shouldn't. Shouldn't. I know what you've done. I've seen. I was in the Bikneser before. Yeah. You shouldn't. It's not that it's not allowed. You shouldn't. You should. I've seen. Baruch Hashem, we've seen. So you shouldn't touch the Sefer Torah at all. What's the problem with touching it? You're not supposed to. Become Tameh. First of all, it's an essence of Tumah. That's number one. Number two, when you have something special, Le'avdi, let's say a special painting, Mona Lisa. They say this Mona Lisa, because this, they don't know if she's smiling or she's smirking or maybe she has some gas. We're not really sure what she has. But for some reason, they think that this is a priceless painting. So if you actually ever go to the museum that has this painting, you discover a couple of things. Number one, people are crazy. Why? Because there's nothing special about this painting. Number two, number two, it's tiny. It's a tiny little thing. It looks really big on, on, you know, on the screen. You think it's big because you've seen it on a computer, on TV, on different things, but it's actually a tiny little thing. It's a small little painting. That's number two. Number three, it's behind enough glass and crystal and, and, and protection that even if you shot it with a tank, it wouldn't penetrate. A tank wouldn't penetrate. Why? Because they believe it's priceless. This is some nonsense paint that some guy painted. It's worth nothing, but they make it priceless. Our Torah, where did it come from? Come on, with a raise of hands. Who wrote Torah? Hashem. God. Wrote the Torah. God, God. There's only one God, not two. One God. He wrote the Torah. The same Torah you have behind me. He wrote it. Is there anything in the world that's more, more valuable than this? We're protecting the painting. We're not allowed to even touch the glass that's protecting the painting. We're going to touch the Sefer Torah. You understand? So, the other thing is also, is you don't touch things that are very valuable because 
eventually enough people touch it, they ruin it. Enough people touch it. If every single person comes to your Jeep, you have a big Jeep, I don't know, you have a Hummer. They used to, in the, uh, 10 years ago, they used to sell these army Hummers as if they were personal cars. I think they still do. Huge car. And everybody goes to the car, it's like, wow, what a car, wow, what a car, wow, what a car, wow, what a car, wow, what a car. Eventually, you have a dent in your car. Why? Because everybody kept smashing it. It's like somebody telling you, hey, how you doing? Smacks you in the back. And then another guy smacks you in the back, smacks you in the back. By the end of the day, you have black and blues all over your back. Why? Enough people touch it, you're going to ruin it. So you say to that guy, no, no, it's okay to touch the Torah, and he's touching the letter Rish, and the other one touching the letter Yud, and the other one touching the letter this and the letter this. Over time, one of those letters, not all the letters, one of those letters misses a tiny little portion, meaning the Vav, the Vav, the Vav that you have, enough touching it, and the Vav became smaller. kind of looks like a Yud. kind of looks like a Yud. The entire Sefer Torah is Pasul. The entire Sefer Torah is Pasul. Now let to read from it. Why? There's a mistake in the Torah. There's a mistake in the Torah. If one letter in the Sefer Torah is not complete, the Sefer Torah is Pasul. That's why when they write Sefer Torah in Israel, for example, and they bring it over here to America or anywhere else in the world, you're always going to see there's a ceremony where they're writing the last few letters. Now, most people that don't know anything, like I didn't know much, think, oh, wow, yeah, it's because it's a big mitzvah to write it, right? No, it has nothing to do with that. The real reason of why they have this ceremony of writing the last few letters of the Torah, once they arrive at the destination, is because they're not allowed to take the Sefer Torah, first of all, with one person, if it's a complete Sefer Torah. Number two, you're not allowed to throw it in luggage. Like, they, you, can't, you can't put it in luggage and just throw it. Hey, 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 Steve, take, hey, John, thank you. No, you're not allowed to do it. So what do they do? The Sefer Torah is not complete. It's missing a few letters. If it's missing one or more letters, it's not a Sefer Torah. You could throw it, you could jump, you could do whatever you want. Why? It's not a Sefer Torah. So if enough people touch the Sefer Torah with their oily finger... Over five years, ten years, twenty years, every Shabbat they touch this, they touch this. Eventually, the vav ketchas v'shalom become a yud, or the res can become a vav, or the uh, the, the chet can become an hey. The letters can change. The entire thought, now every week, no one notices it. So the whole year, the whole keilah uses the sefer Torah three times a week, and they're all making a sin from the Torah. Why? Because you touch the Sefer Torah. You understand? So, it's important to understand that the rules that we have in the Torah are critical. Now, as far as Kavod Chachamim, the Kavod of the Chacham is even more significant than the Torah itself. Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, Allah Shalom, one time there was a person, a woman came into his Bet Midrash, crying, Kodarav, help me, help me, help me. What? What happened? They're throwing my son. They're throwing my son out of the yeshiva. Why? Chas v'shalom. Why? It's like, there's no money. We don't have any money. And they, they said, without paying, they're going to not going to let him in. Rabbi Yisrael Misadant, B'dol stopped his learning, stopped everything, and screamed at the entire keilah, sell the Sefer Torah. We have a Sefer Torah in the Arona Kodesh. 
Go take that Sefer Torah and go sell it. Why? The living Sefer Torah is more important. What do you mean? He's 12, 13, 14 years old. We're going to sell the Sefer Torah, the whole Keilah. Can I use the Sefer Torah so, uh, so this little 13-year-old go to Yeshiva? Yes. He's much more important. He's much more important. The Kila was so embarrassed of themselves. No, no, for the Rav, we have the money. Hold on a second. Hey, 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 kid, here's 500. The other one, by the time the kid left, he was rich. Why? They didn't realize that the little kid, 13, 14 years old, going to Yeshiva, is more important than the Sefer Torah they spent 60,000 on. But that's when people had Kvot Chachamim. They heard the Chacham say something, they jumped. Now, what's Emunat Chachamim? Emunat Chachamim is very different. Emunat Chachamim means you're going to listen to the Chacham, whether he says right or left, as he said it, regardless of whether you agree or not. Why? Because you know that the Torah that he has, because the Chacham, that alone has enough power to change nature. Yevamot says a story, fascinating story. Has to do with Has to do with the shiul about love. Yevamot says there was two, there was two people, a couple, tzaddikim, husband and wife, married ten years, and uh, after ten years, no kids. So. They have to go to the rabbi. Who's the rabbi? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. It's a nice rabbi to have. You should pick a good one. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, they knew that going to their rabbi is a difficult thing to do. Why? Because they already knew his psak. They already knew his law. What's his law? If you're married for 10 years, and no kids, you have to get divorced. So they went to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, knowing this is the Psak. What are you going to do? He's your rabbi. What are you going to go to uh, the local Eish uh, Torah? What are you going to do? You're going to go to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. What are you going to do? They go to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He says, Kvod Arav, we're married 10 years. Unfortunately, Hashem has not blessed us with children. What should we do? We know the halacha. Rabbi Shimon says, you need to get a divorce, but there's one condition. What's the condition? The Torah tells us that we're supposed to thank Hashem for good and bad. We have to thank Hashem for the bad, just like as if it was good. Meaning, if you won the lotto, or you lost your leg in a car accident, you're supposed to take Hashem the same way. So he says, there's one condition, you have to fill this mitzvah. So how do you do it? He says, you have to make a divorce party. The same size and significance as your wedding 10 years ago. Same itlavut, excitement, yay, do, da, invite everyone, 100 bucks for each meal, 300 bucks, a plate, this, that, invitation, each invitation is $30. You want them back, maybe cash them in at the end of the party. Big party, divorce party. 
So, Chacham says, we do. Miskinim, they say this is, not only we have to get divorced, but we have to celebrate it, and on top of it, we have to embarrass it, publicize. The worst thing about, about bad news is publicizing it. It's bad enough you have bad news. It's much worse when everybody else knows. Oh, wow, you declared bankruptcy, I heard, huh? Yeah, I heard too. You don't have to remind me. I was there. I was there when I declared bankruptcy. You don't have to remind me, but thanks for, thanks for letting me know what I actually experienced. Thanks, buddy. Oh, you just got a divorce. Ah, tough luck, man. Oh, yeah, I knew I got a divorce. Why, why do you have to remind me? It's not bad enough you already got one. You have to remind them. People are evil. Without Torah, they're evil. Without Torah, you are nothing but evil. It's not possible to be good without Torah. If a person thought for a second about the feelings of his fellow, 90% of your conversation simply wouldn't exist. Because most of what we say is not good. Now, this couple had a emunat chachamim. If you're ever going to have emunat chachamim, you're not going to have a rabbi Shimon Yochai. But the Zohar Kadosh, Kodesh Kodeshim, the tiniest little Tana was able to revive the dead. Imagine what Rabbi Shimon Yochai did. When they sent Rabbi Shimon Yochai to go talk to the Caesar, he said, listen, Rabbi Shimon, you, you, uh, you, are, you make miracles. You make miracles. I'm sure you're going to do something. So Rabbi Shimon did a little tiny prayer. All of a sudden, the king of all the Shadim showed up. He's like, yeah, I'm here to help. Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yuchai started crying. Because this is what I get. This, you, the king of all the Shadim, the king of all the Shadim came to serve him. I'm here at your service, sir. Kodarav. Kodarav. I'm here at your service. Rabbi Shimon is sad about this. Why? He says, look, the Shifcha, the maidservant of Avraham Avinu, she got three angels. I get you. I get a shed. That's what I get. He goes, look how lowly I am. He said, he said one word. And the king of the Shadim shows up like a little soldier. And he's crying about it. Imagine. So anyway, this Rabbi Shemuel says you have to get a divorce. But you have to have a party. Shh, big party. So what do they do? They have a munat chachamim. They have a party. They invite everyone. Everyone thinks they're crazy, first of all. Because you have a divorce party. It's not enough to get a divorce. You have a party. But everybody got the nice invitation to this, to that. Everybody got to their table. And they're there. And they're laughing. And they're celebrating. And everyone's at the celebration and so on. And the husband says to the wife, Honey, I love you. Here are the keys to the house. Go Take anything you want. It's yours. No argument. No lawyers. Not like today. People get divorced. Half the money go to his lawyer. Half the money go to her lawyer. They're both in the broke. No, he says to her, honey, here are the keys. Take what you love the most in the house. Yours. Whatever you want. Tomorrow we have to go to the rabbi and finish the get. But for now, here you go. Is the keys. Take whatever you want. And Misken, the guy, the Misken, what is the guy? What is he going to do, Misken? The guy is leaving the love of his life. What are you doing? He starts drinking. He has the blue label. He has the blue label. He has one, he has two, he has three, he has four, he has five, he has passed out. 
He's passed out. He wakes up in the morning and he sees he doesn't know where he's at. Where am I? Where am I? And then he looks right. Oops. He sees his wife. He says, oh, no, what did I do? We're not allowed. We already decided we're getting divorced. Not allowed. Not allowed to be next to you. You already decided to divorce. Not allowed. What'd you do, honey? She goes, what do you mean what I do? You told me to get whatever I love the most. What's better in the house than you? What do you want me to get the, the, the house? What do you want me to get the walls, the painting, the Mona Lisa? What do you want me to get from the house? What, the plant? The dog maybe? The cat? The, what do you want me to get? You said get what I love the most. I took you. He says, okay, I love you too, but uh, what are we going to do now? We have to go to the rabbi. You have to tell the rabbi we have a problem. Okay, that's the problem you have. So they go to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. They go to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, is not, he's, not, he's not surprised. He knew this was going to happen. He says, oh, how are you? How are you? How are you? Kvod Arav, you know? Yeah, yeah, how are you? How's everything? Kvod Arav, uh, we messed up. And they want to start telling him the story. No, listen, I didn't mean it. Really, it was supposed to be that. But the party, I had a couple of drinks. He goes, no, no, listen. Everything's okay. You're going to have a kid in one year. What? You're going to have a child within the next year. Just like the angels came to Avram Avinu. Told him, hey, by the way, Avram, you waited a hundred years to have a kid. And Avram has a kid. Rabbi Yochai. Says to this couple, you're going to have a kid this year. So Rabbi again, Allah Shalom, asked the question. He says, wait a minute, I don't understand. Where did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai need all this theatrics to tell him you're going to have a kid? He's about miracles. He can make any miracle he wants. He can pray to Hashem. It's like he, him and Hashem are best friends. Why do you have to make these people embarrass themselves with the party, with the shmarty, with all this stuff? For what? Just tell them, oh, you have a kid? No, no problem. I can revive the dead if you want. You want the kid with the dead or you just want the kid? The same price. Like, what's the price? You just tell them. Why do you have to go through this whole thing? Because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai knew something. He knew something that if we knew it, there wouldn't be any divorce in the world. There wouldn't be any problems at all. What did he know? He knew that the biggest disease that we have in this world is not going to be cured by doctors. It's not going to be cured by biologists, by chemists, by governments, by politicians, by money. It'll never be cured by it. Because the biggest disease we have is unfortunately when we get used to something. We get used to something, we mistreat it. We get used to something, we forget it's significant. You get used to your wife, you forget to tell her you love her. You get used to your wife, you start talking to her like you talk to a truck driver. You get used to your husband, you don't get up when he comes to the house. You continue staying on your phone with the girlfriend. You get used to the kids, you forget to hug them and tell them, Oh honey, how was your day? You're too busy telling them to go to their room. You get used to God, you forget to thank Him for doing anything for you. The good and the bad. Because it's both good. 
You forget he's the king of kings. You forget he's the boss. You start thinking you're his buddy. Why? You got used to it. The prophet Ezekiel says that at the time of Mashiach, we're not going to be allowed to enter the Bet Mikdash, to exit the Bet Mikdash from the same place we entered. And the reason why, the Yavid says, is because Chash a person will exit the Bet Mikdash from the same place they entered and get used to the Bet Mikdash's walls like they get used to the walls of their own house. Meaning getting used to things is a very, very bad thing. The point of our tefillah every day is in order to revive our relationship with Hashem. The point of our learning Torah every day is to revive the relationship with Hashem. The point of all of the things that we have between ourselves and our spouse, all of the experiences, the good ones and the bad ones, is to constantly revive them, constantly have something new. Because if things get stale, the Baha leaves. The bracha leaves. So even though the couple loved each other 10 years, they're both tzaddikim, they got used to each other. When they get used to each other, there's not enough love there. There's not enough love, there's no bracha. Ish isha zachushchina benem, the Mishnah says. When there's shlom bayit, that's real shlom bayit, that's full of ava, full of love, then the shchina comes. When the shchina comes, it cannot come unless there's perfection. And if there's missing, if there's something missing, then the Shekhinah fixes it. If you're missing a kid, Shekhinah fixes it. If you have a disease, the Shekhinah fixes it. But first you have to have Shlom Bayit, you have to have Ava. So even though they were both righteous people that were fulfilling mitzvot, they were so busy fulfilling the mitzvot, they forgot to fulfill each other's desires. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai knew that the only way they're going to be revived you can't command someone to love somebody else. The way you do it is usually by taking it away from them. In this particular case, they had emunat chachamim. They had faith in the chacham. And they listened to him. At a time it was very, very difficult to listen to him. Why? He's telling them, get divorced. But I love her. Why? You want me to get divorced? No, I don't want to listen to this halacha. Let me listen to the different halacha. Let me find an etel. I'm sure there's an etel somewhere and someone says that I don't have to get a divorce. There's plenty of rabbis that were married for many years and never had kids. So I don't have to listen to Rabbi Shimon. Let me listen to somebody else. The Lubavitcher Rebbe never had kids. He never got divorced. There's many other rabbis that never had kids. Never got divorced. So obviously, there's multiple opinions here. But they had emunat chachamim. They believed in their chacham. They believed in Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And they had the party. And because they had the party and they had emunat chachamim, they learned the lesson that he was trying to teach them the whole time, that he couldn't teach them any other way. He couldn't tell them, listen, you should love each other. Ah, you know how much I love my wife. You know how much I love my husband? I made him gefilte uh, fish every day of the week. I love my husband. People think they love each other because they give each other stuff. Rabbi Shimon Bayochai wanted to tell you, you have to love each other, you have to work on it. Work on it as if you're about to lose it every day. If you do that, then you got something. And because they had Emunat Chachamim, they followed the advice, they learned the lesson they needed to learn. 
and they got the results that were drastically better than they can even imagine. But had they not had Emunat Chachamim, and they would have said, yeah, Rabbi Shimon, he's not all that though. He's not all that. There's some other people. There's, there's Rabbi Yudah, there's Rabbi Yossi, there's other rabbis. We go to other rabbis that have different opinions. Different opinions. And they go to different opinions. They say, no, you don't have to get divorced. And they stay married for another 10 years, no kids. That's the difference, Rabbi Emunat Chachamim means that you listen to the Chacham regardless of whether his opinion, his Da'at Torah that he arrived at, agrees with yours or not. In fact, if it completely disagrees with yours, and you follow it, that really means you have Emunat Chachamim. But if you just listen to the stuff because you agree with it, that doesn't mean you have Emunat Chachamim. It just means you agree. It just means he's reminding you of something you already agree with. Emunat Chachamim means you're going to follow it Regardless of whether you like it, dislike it, agree, disagree, that's emunat chachamim. And when you do that, then you have bracha. Then you have bracha. Why? Because you're fulfilling the Torah. You're fulfilling the Torah. You're valuing the Torah for what it is. You're not valuing your own logic. Next question. You had something, I think. Sefer Torah. One complete sefer. If there's a mistake in the entire book, any sefer, the entire sefer Torah is pasul. Not that I know. Not that I know. Not that I know. If there's one letter that's a, uh, that's uh, no good in the entire sefer Torah, the entire scroll is pasul. You have to fix it, or you have to. If it's not fixable, you have to bury it. Some of these things are fixable. Many of them. Most of them are fixable. But sometimes the book is so old or damaged or so on, it's not fixable. Like a lot of the books that they have from previous generations that they find uh, from, let's say, for example, uh, the places that were on fire in Spain and other places, a lot of these books, they simply bury them because you can't uh, fix it and so on. And uh, uh, they end up burying a lot of them. But uh, as far as uh, a, a book that's written, for example, now, and let's say there's a, there's a problem with a certain letter, Usually they could fix it. Usually they could fix it. It's not common, but they do. Yeah. Next. Right. No, it's no, it's no such thing as it's, it's, it's for slum bite, you're not going to do it. Okay, so uh, there's two questions here. One is, how do you deal with people that have the opposite opinion of yours? Two is, what do you do if the opposite opinion exists with your spouse? Those are two separate questions. Why? Because if the person that has an opposite opinion of you, of yours, is not someone that you have to live with. He's not your husband, he's not your wife, she's not your wife, it's not your kid, then... The answer is you don't have to deal with them. You know, on a keyboard, there's a wonderful key called delete. Press it. When their email comes, press it. That's it. Simple. Unfortunately, with many people, many relationships in your life, the only thing you can do with them is delete. Some people, they're, they're, it's not that they have an opposite opinion of yours. 
is that they cannot let you have your opinion. It's not enough that they disagree with you. It's not enough. It's that they can't tolerate that you disagree with them. They can't tolerate, so they constantly remind you of it. So if you don't have to live with this person, don't live with them. Don't talk to them. That's it. I mean, listen, I, you guys have seen, I, I tell, I'm an open book in my life. You see, I've moved, uh, I've lived in Florida, what, four or five years? I've moved almost every year. Some of the you know, reasons were because the landlords wanted to sell their house. Apparently, real estate prices went up drastically, but a couple of times because of the community. I have a disagreement with the rabbi. I'm not going to stay there and continue arguing with him. I just leave. I leave. I go somewhere else. That's it. Why? I don't have to live there. There's plenty of other communities. People are telling me, oh, no, I, I, I hate my rabbi. I hate my community. I don't understand. Maybe. So leave. Leave. Oh, but it's expensive. Okay, so apparently you're not suffering enough. If that's what you're thinking about is the price, then you're not suffering enough. So wait till you suffer enough. You'll find the money. That's the reality, Rabotai, because I know that if it was something else, you would leave. So, if you don't have to live somewhere, you don't have to deal with somebody, the answer is leave. That's it. Leave. But if it's a relationship where you simply disagree, then see who's right. If you know that your 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 opinion is Torah, and theirs isn't, but they're at least receptive, they're receptive, but they just disagree with you, then fine. Find other common ground, and hopefully you'll go back to this particular issue in, in the future. I'm not saying to uh, uh, cancel out all of the people, you know, all the relationships you have with every person that disagrees with you, because that will simply be everyone. No one is ever going to agree with everything you say. Even if it's your best friend, even if it's your spouse, even if it's your parents, even if it's your children. Everyone's going to disagree with you on something. So, it all depends on what that something is. Where is that red line? If the red line is a, uh, let's say, a different type of kashrut, you believe that you should have Chalab uh, Israel. But they hold by Rav Moshe Feinstein and says, no, no, you don't have to have Chalab Israel. They, they, as long as it's kosher, it's fine. That's not something to break up a relationship over. But if they're an atheist, and you obviously are not, then of course, that's not only a reason to break up the relationship, it's a, you're, you're in danger keeping it. So, and that's assuming you don't have to keep ties with this person because they're not a wife, they're not a husband, they're not a son, they're not a daughter, they're not a parent. Now, what if it is one of those important people in your life where you can't necessarily just cut them out so easily? It's not so easy to cut out a parent. It's not so easy to cut out a brother or a sister. It's not so easy to get divorced. It's not so easy. And you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily supposed to. Now again, it all depends on where that red line is. If it's you're more strict than they are, but they're still preserving the law, they're still maintaining the law, then it's fine. You just over time, hopefully you encourage them to become more religious. If you got married and your wife is not ready to cover her hair, that's not a reason to get divorced. It's not good, but it's not a reason to get divorced. But if she's not willing to go to the mikveh, then you have to get divorced. Not usually, they have to get divorced. Why? Because if, without her going to the mikveh, you can never touch her. So you're not Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't stay without touching her for 40 years. So obviously you can't be with her. And you're not allowed to be with her. So it's not, oh, no, no, but uh, maybe maybe one day she'll, she'll do tshuva. So for now it's okay. No, no, there's no okay. There's no okay. Every single time you touch her finger, I'm not even talking about being intimate. Every time you touch her finger, 
It's Isur Karet. It's the same thing you can just violate Shabbat. You just, uh, you just ate uh, on, uh, on Yom Kippur. You just ate Chametz on Pesach. Same thing. It's Isur Karet. That's why all the guys that are not married, that are going out with Jewish girls and are touching them, they have no idea what kind of genom they're building for themselves. Because all of those girls are nida. All of them are nida. So, point is, Rabotai, is that you need to understand. It all depends on where the red line is. If you just did tshuva, and she didn't yet, that's not a reason to get to get divorced right away. You should try to get her to, or him, to join you over time. But if you tried for an extended period of time, and you see not only there's no progress, but the person is going in reverse, where when you first started doing tshuva, he believed in a creator, she believed in a creator, but a year later of trying to help her or him do tshuva, she became an atheist. Then obviously you see that uh, it's time for you to call it quits. Why? Because it's impossible for you to live in the same household uh, with you loving Hashem and him uh, hating Hashem. It's impossible. It's impossible for it to be a, a healthy relationship. Whether you get divorced or uh, he just tortures you or she just tortures you your whole life, it's the same thing. It's a uh, point is, is that at least the divorce will end the torture at some point. So it all depends on where the red line is. There's no permission from a Torah to violate the Torah for the sake of Shlombite under all cases. It all depends on where the red line is. So it depends what, what, what is the difference. What is their opinion and why is it different than yours? How are you so sure that yours is the right one? If you're sure that yours is the right one because there's a source for it in the Torah, and their opinion is against the Torah. Not that it's just their opinion that uh, is also in the Torah, but it's their opinion is against the Torah. They simply don't believe. Then it depends. What don't they believe in? What is it? What is the what is the problem? What is the main issue here? Uh, if it's they simply are atheists or they're Christian or they're uh, some other form of uh, idol worshiper, it's a different story. Then obviously that's that's a that's a red line. But if it's a uh, it's something that uh, is not a uh, deal breaker, at least not immediate, then you have to evaluate it. For such things to determine, if you don't know how to determine it easily enough, if it's not so simple, that's what you have a rough for. You have a rabbi who knows who you are, who knows who your spouse is, knows where both of you are, and he'll tell you pretty much you know, which direction to go. Sometimes the rabbi is going to encourage you to stay married because he believes that maybe with enough effort, things could improve. Not they will, but they could improve. But any normal rabbi that sees that the situation continues to deteriorate, eventually he's going to tell you that you have to go in a different direction. Uh, But again, some people complain about things that are uh, really nonsensical. A lot of people complain about things that are nonsensical, you know, so it's, or things that always happened, things that they accepted as okay their whole life, and now all of a sudden they don't want it, it's not okay anymore. Like, for example, a, uh, one time a person came to me and says, oh yeah, my, uh, my wife is, uh, you know, doesn't give me enough credit for things that I do. And uh, she's very bossy, and she's very this. And I learned from the Torah, she has to respect me because of this, because of that. I was like, all right, well, she just started disrespecting you now. She goes, no, 25 years she's been doing it. And I'm like, wait, when did you learn this new chidush that she has to respect you? Oh, I learned it two months ago. Okay, so 
She learned 25 years ago that uh, she's okay to step all over you. And you learned two months ago she's not, it's not okay. So you expect 25 years to be eliminated after two months? It's not going to happen. You were okay with her for 25 years. You can't say that uh, she's going to change in two months. You changed maybe. She didn't. So again, it all depends. It all depends where that red line is. Uh, and it's, 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 it's important. It's important to, to know where your heart is. There are six. There are six letters that are different between the three types of uh, Sefer Torah. There's a. There's a, a Yemenite. They uh, have what everyone knows is likely the one that's right. But uh, there are six letters that are slightly different in the others. But no one has the courage and. Uh, to uh, or the foolishness to, to dare say that what they got is wrong because maybe it's right. So everyone has enough evidence to continue using their own Sifre Torah, no problem. But and the reason why is because those six letters don't change the meaning of the words or the meaning of the sentence or anything. So uh, it's like, for example, using an Aleph instead of a Hey. So if you, uh, in essence, it doesn't change, doesn't change the word. Uh, or using a vav or not using a vav. And just putting the dot instead. So the point is, is that those few letters that are different are, uh, are not changing anything. And therefore, it's a, uh, acceptable that Dosefer Torah of the Ashkenazi is acceptable at the Ashkenazi uh, place. It's acceptable at the Sephardic place. It's acceptable at the Yemenite place. There's no problem. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change any... Uh, the rest of the Torah is exactly the same, which is actually a testament to the precision of our Torah, actually. Because if you look at the amount, amount of variations in uh, the New Testament, for example, uh, that's less than half the size. It's actually a third of the size of the Torah and has been around for half the time. There's over 205,000 variations of it. 205,000 variations. The Quran that's been around for even less time and is shorter than both of them has, from the last check that I had, was 90... um, 9,500 versions. 9,500 versions. Some say 95,000, but I think it's 9,500. No, no. It's 9,500. It's thousands. Thousands of versions of the Quran. Uh, If you raise a Quran, no two people have the same one. Uh, Thousands and thousands of versions of it, and each one of them has, both the New Testament and the Quran, has huge differences, meaningful differences, different sentences, different names, different numbers, different huge, huge differences. Whereas our differences, those six letters are insignificant. Insignificant. There's no, nothing changes. The meaning of the sentence uh, does not change uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so uh, f- with that being said, it's a, uh, if a person, let's say, for example, brings a Yemenite uh, scroll to a, any shul, Sephardic shul, Ashkenazi shul, any other type of shul, has the same level of Kedusha as any of the other scrolls that are in there. There's nothing, no, no difference. Next. We have another shiur tomorrow night, Bezad Hashem. Um, 
We're going to continue this Mishnah. We'll, uh, we have uh, a lot more to cover. Hopefully we got a little bit more of the uh, klipa off of uh, off our neshamot. Again, like I said, there's some more uh, CDs in the car and some cards over here for anybody that wants to do some kiruv. And Bezad Hashem, start showing Hashem our love through our actions and not necessarily through just our words. Amen ve'amen.